0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. If you hear the rustle of the wind or a barking dog, maybe a truck running or a large bird that sounds like a pterodactyl, that is because I'm broadcasting to you live but recorded from Dripping Springs, Texas. I'm happy to bring you Tara Miller this week, who talks to the crew about a brief history of psychiatry and discusses the antiquated techniques that are still in practice today. As Tara explains, although it may feel good to talk about traumatic experiences in the moment, it does nothing to improve the effects of PTSD. More effective treatment comes from studying the nervous system while reliving the moment and finding ways to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system to begin the healing process. Tara believes it's time we start paying attention to what our bodies are telling us rather than relying on what our psyche finds cathartic. Here it is, episode 338
1: oh man you're oh you're getting that people oh,
2: glutes no hamstrings oh, i'll tell power you what it is guys i'm on that bulking protocol for the new year
3: <laughs> wow, you're doing it wrong power
2: uh it's
3: not leaning protocol right, it's tex, losing weight
2: protocol uh, no the bulk i don't want to lose weight oh, oh wow. Well, right.
1: tex is that a phone in your back pocket or are you just happy to sit on me <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> no Power Athlete Nation what's happening this is Luke and on text not on Luke's lap and John is on my lap <laughs> uh, spe- special guest John Walmore. and friend of the podcast and we're here to bring you another episode of Power Athlete Radio Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, Uh, today is if you are watching, there's two extra empty seats over here. We have our good friend, Dr. Kirk Parsley, who is the, the man behind what the the remedy formerly known as Sleep Cocktail.
3: No, what's it called? The Roofie? Oh, the Roofie. (laughs) The
1: Flory. The Flory. I don't know why they call it the Roofie. Of Sleep sleep Remedy, which uh, we've had Kirk on the podcast a couple times. Kirk trains with us in the morning. And a colleague of his that he linked up with us, Tara Miller, Mm -hmm. who's a psychotherapist and like super switched on gal. And we are about to take you on a magic carpet ride. This one is (laughs) all over. And like, so Tara, John, you weren't here yet. And text maybe you were, I'm like, I, I asked her. I'm like, you know what you're getting into? And she's like, uh, kind of. And I go, let me explain it. We're going to try and derail you. We're going to, we need you to keep us on, on track, yeah, yeah. you know,
3: it's, it's a mess.
1: And it was funny cause uh, that didn't really happen. She was just like so ready to go down every rabbit hole that we talked about. But, uh, Hey guys, we're going to talk a lot about just the, the physiology and psychology of, of trauma and stress, stress and how that can affect like, it's pretty interesting how these big things you can you can overcome big traumatic experiences, but you haven't really. All it's really doing is setting like setting up this house of cards for that one last well uh, card the, to fall and just everything caves in.
3: Uh, so what we really know about psychology and you know psychiatry really comes from. Uh, um, from Sigmund Freud and the idea of like regression and this idea of like helping you work through the therapy by coming to the realization retell, retell- and retelling and reliving and that like if we can relive it together me as the as a the therapist can take you on this journey to somehow healing and uh, I think that's working with some old technology. And what she's going to talk about is how, uh, you know, coming in and realizing what's happened to you, but creating an end point and then kind of breaking it up into pieces to lay down new memories as a way to deal with trauma instead of the traditional, just like, let me continue to just fucking put my thumb on your wound and press so that the wound can never heal. Mm-hmm. So, um, pretty interesting and uh, I, I definitely think like understanding how pain and they, the emotional response to pain how people tie it all in and just realizing mm-hmm. that there's this connection between the mind body and you know mm-hmm. the soul
1: and plenty of rabbit holes when we get into why people why, so, why you mad bro why are people so mad
3: <laughs> uh, why are people so mad it goes everywhere or my other one that I use on the, constantly on social media I'm like you're an angry little man mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. people get all upset they're like oh, I'm six foot four I'm like well you're a little older than me mm-hmm. so you're an angry little man but uh, let's do it. Shall we do it? We should do it. Let's do it. Are you sure we should do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, here we go. <laughs> we should play Tone Loke right there.
1: We did. One thing. I think we've been doing that every single time.
3: Well, I think Tara should introduce herself. Okay, I think it's and time. And just, just shut up and we'll just go? We'll,
1: we'll start with the first question of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Tara, tell us a little bit about yourself. Inform our audience on a little bit of your background, and, and then we'll take it from there.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thanks uh, for that great introduction. Uh, my name is Tara Miller. I'm a psychotherapist from Canada, actually, and I used to be a journalist, and I used to do a bunch of marketing and uh, writing. And after my own traumatic experiences, as with many therapists, people that go into this profession realize that you can't heal trauma by talking about it. So. Uh, went through a different process for my own kind of recovery from PTSD and decided to go back to grad school, get my master's degree, and specialize in this specific kind of trauma therapy that helps people regulate their nervous system. So uh, I've been doing that for about a decade. And uh, I'm here in Texas visiting my colleague, Dr. Kirk Parsley. Kirk and I work together.
1: Nice. Ooh. So then, Sarah, how do you guys collaborate with your expertise and what Kirk's working on with Sleep Remedy? Is there something else in there that y'all are working up and packaging, or?
5: Well, it, it's really more. Um, it's more really the professional um, collaboration is more on the seal side with mm-hmm. the TBI PTSD component. Um, she and the the training I'm doing with a pair on to sort of to go into their clinics, and they do a lot with uh, neurocognitive functioning and getting past trauma and all that stuff so she's going to be doing that training as well so that's more like how her professional credentials but she's more working like a journalist for me she's doing pr and uh and uh affiliate management
3: can can you get into that idea of trauma like you said um you Mm -hmm. know you can't deal with trauma by just speaking about it it has to be something that's you know actively dealt with can you get into that a little bit more
4: Absolutely. All day long for about seven, seven hours. (laughs) Uh, Seven seven to ten. It's just going (laughs) to be a shorter podcast. (laughs) So basically, um, the way that we work with trauma is to know that we are built like animals. So if you're a deer in the forest and you sense threat, there's a whole bunch of neurochemical, biological reactions that happen so that you can fight or flight away from danger. Once you get out of danger... You would do these big pronking movements, these big jumps. You would shake, tremor, sweat, get all of this energy out of your system, come back down to a baseline. So that's what we know as fight or flight, rest and digest, sympathetic arousal, parasympathetic parasympath- arousal. What we know as humans is that we have this ability to recreate our experiences from memories and feel like trauma just never ends because we keep remembering it. So every time you think about something, every time you tell the same story, your brain lights up in the same way as when it actually happened. So it doesn't make sense anymore knowing what we know about humans being animals and having the same process to continue to reignite trauma by storytelling. Even though we're natural storytellers, we're still just firing up those pathways around trauma in the brain and wiring them up even tighter every time that we talk about it or think about it or have the memory of the story. So a way to work with trauma in a more effective way is to really help the nervous system come out of those high states of arousal and come back into a parasympathetic state where it can come back down to a baseline and um, reset versus, um, and we do that through the body as well as connected to the mind. So we don't go into storytelling, which just makes things live longer and stay longer fixed in the system.
1: So is that like, a, you know, in the movies, tell me about, you know, event X that is traumatizing you when the guy's laying on the proverbial <laughs> chase lounge and there's the doctor there, right? Is that the traditional therapy approach? And it's just forcing people to relive this and then attempt to like, like in- inoculate them or like, I guess, start to cope and accept the trauma? Or like, what was the strategy and how is it it shifting?
4: So the strategy was that if we get to the end of the story that it'll be over, and then if we tell the right person that it'll feel better. So there's a catharsis to it that's like, oh, this feels good. But it doesn't actually resolve your issues. It just feels good in the moment.
3: And just allows you to come back to the next
4: appointment, <coughs> right? That's right. And it's good. <coughs> it's good. Okay. Chiropractor. Yes. Well, no, it's but that's good good the difference. story
3: never ends. Well, but that's the idea of like, um, it, isn't that what we call uh, uh, like psychotherapy, the idea mm-hmm. that you're going to put these people back into the like regression of the information. And then through that, you're going to have to somehow come to terms and work through it with this individual. And mm-hmm. then magically, because we talk about it, and we Fucking break it up into a million pieces; it'll just magically go away. Or if you have the
5: magic of CBT, which is basically we'll reframe that for you. CBT, yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy, where they're like, "Oh, think about it this way. Like, it was actually a good thing that your dad raped you, and here's why, right?" And then, and it's like spinning the narrative. Well, Uh, which which she hates. And if you, I kind of just, we really wanted her to bounce off the ceiling. Let's talk to her about EMDR.
3: uh, I just really (laughs) kind of thought with a lot of stuff, you just kind of have to like. Accept it and just kind of move on and bury it down deep and do do <laughs> never, what? never talk about it again. You swallow it uh, push it way, and you push down, it way down, down, which is what uh, men have been taught to do for millions of years, <laughs> and it works, I think, fine. Works, I, it works for certain men. <laughs> yeah, well, I, <laughs> like I'm not talking about anything specific, but you know, uh-huh. so, yeah. So
1: Tara, address yeah. that, right? So like, mm-hmm. I feel like that is part of being. Just be a man, swallow it down, to mm-hmm. put it in that dark, dark place. And just forget about it. Like, is that what we're talking about here or?
4: And traditional psychotherapy really is a good business model for repeat business. And, and what the therapist will do is say, Oh, well, you know, how did that make you feel? Or how did, you know, what do you think about that? Or how else can we think about it? So that's the frontal lobes, the top of your brain or your limbic system, the emotional center. And what we know is that you resolve trauma through the reptilian brain, which is your earliest brainstem. It's only job is survival. So, let's work with the root of that problem. All the other symptoms actually dissipate when the nervous system is reset, is regulated. So with the talking about it, You're you're reframing it. You're accessing that top part of your brain, but your brain's doing that anyway. Its only job is to make meaning of the shit that's happened in your life already. So it doesn't make sense to just keep recapitulating it and expecting to feel differently. Your nervous system is still going to be charged up.
3: So how do you uh, how do you calm the nervous system? How do you like if you have some trauma, like Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like let's say like a like a back injury for example, like that you suffer as a kid and you have this terrible back injury that becomes debilitating. Your whole life spins out, and then you. You know, come to grips with this,
1: and get an internship, and get get an internship at Power (laughs) Athlete,
3: and uh, decide to you know not not only come into a situation which is empowering, but also belittling at the same point, very humbling. uh, uh, Well, I mean, humbling is a a much more so. What I'm looking for is how misleading. uh, How do we? Uh, how do we take somebody that has like extensive decades of trauma, you know, so, like you know, self-loathing, you know, like poor self-image, and then bring them back? Like, how do we reset the nervous system? Is it through like electricity? Uh, is wish. it like? Have uh, you ever seen uh, Rambo John First Blood? Uh, well, you know, I you was, strap them up to that. I was person. thinking, oh, yeah, no, I was, no, that was actually Rambo Three. I was thinking oh, that or oh. uh, waterboarding or maybe dunking in cold water. I mean, like, what kind of like stressful situations do we have to put them in, kind of like Deadpool, to get them out of us? <laughs>
4: So we wouldn't put them in a stressful situation. (laughs) We wouldn't re-expose them in that moment. So if somebody has significant childhood trauma, a lot of other therapies will go all the way back into childhood. And you have to retell all the terrible things that have happened in your life. It doesn't. It doesn't help, it doesn't make you feel better, it doesn't change your brain. And so the goal is to change the brain. So we start in this moment and we look at what resources do you have right now? Like what do you bring to the table as far as resilience or grit or what can we expand upon in this moment? when it comes to trauma, how we're going to work with it is starting in this moment and working our way back. Cause you have a lot more resources now than you did when you were five Mm. and you have the filtering of not being fully developed in your brain at five. So it's going to be incorrect whatever we pull up at five from Mm. five anyway.
3: Well, I mean, uh, I see that with my kids. Um, you know, my little girls are eight and, uh, like I'll have them recount me stories like, Oh, do you remember we did this? And they're recounting. I'm like, I don't think I was there on that one. Oh, you mean this story? Okay. So, like, I I think it's pretty interesting that, like, they, uh, they like, observe really interesting, like, uh, things. And I was thinking about kids and sometimes, like, with, uh, with trauma and, like, relating stories. Like, they remember, uh, like, what, like, the colors of the spoons are when we had ice cream. They, but they don't remember what flavor ice cream they had or where we were. But they were like, oh, they had those pink spoons. And I'm like... Man, that's that. That's not the detail I would have remembered about that ice cream. But you can... well, we know really well
5: though that they, I mean it's been documented for decades that nobody has any memory. Like all memory is false. Er, all memory is false. It's all. It's all. It's all reconstructed. Right. Like you. You have. <laughs> You literally have no memory of any event in your life. You just have a narrative and story that you've told yourself, and that will morph Is that time. how
3: you've lived your life? Because that I, actually makes a lot more sense That's you. how
5: I make sense out of my life right there. <laughs> no, uh, and it sure, I, I think Tara will agree with me here. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so you, what, what's the difference it's all confabulation, really. It's like you're just like taking bits and pieces.
3: So what they you're saying is that you were never filter. a Navy SEAL? Exactly. <laughs> it could be true. You, were, you never I went to medical. I might not school. have
5: ever been. I might just be telling myself that. So then,
3: mean, well, that's possible. I had people, and I actually saw you. There's in pictures Coronado. of me. I saw. Co- yeah, I, I saw, saw pictures. pictures of me doing it. So that's pretty solid. Yeah, but you that's saw great.
1: that in the past, which is a memory. Which, however, is not either. however, well, somebody, I did see
5: somebody some cl- just brought up a picture of me graduating, Bud, and sent it to me on Facebook. They're like, "Hey, man, is this you?" And I'm like, "Holy shit, it is me!" Oh, I but guess it wasn't. But. That's not what I looked like, and that's not what the compound looked like. I mean it was like six people in folding chairs and i was you know like a bean pole and i was like no that would that's not like i was the same size and there's like thousands of people around so i mean it we and the the further you go well i don't even think that's true i mean um, to an extent but probably a, a memory a year ago is no more accurate than a memory when you're a child especially if there's been a lot of change in you because every time you change the filter change and that changes how you remember and perceive the information what it means now which changes what the meaning of the next thing was and the narrative and why that happened and this. And there is actually no such thing as memory. It's all, we're all just fucking making it up.
1: So hang on, talk me through that. So then
5: what's the... D- I don't buy it. I so concur. I don't buy it. I don't uh, buy it. Ask, <laughs> ask the psychotherapist. And not, she's, she's truly trained in this. I'm just spewing air.
1: So then what is the difference? So then what do you, so we're not calling it memory then. So is it just a semantics game in the sense that memory has a specific definition, but this isn't exactly how it works. It's an event that's stored and there's, Incomplete information that we recall that passes through filters molded by experience, biopsychosocial, and then uh, we present a narrative that is a version of w- the memory, which memory would imply exact replica. Well, just, just, just accuracy,
5: right? Mm-hmm. So that's why 12 people can watch a car crash and you, know, you get 12 yeah. different stories as to what happened. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually remembers it. Like everybody, every, it went through everybody's filter right it uh, i don't know it's like your board or something right it's like all these microphones are going through that and you can you know fidget around with all those buttons all you want to and it changes what's going through there and what's coming out of there that. right, right. and that's essentially that's our filter but the the belief was that memory so what's the paradigm? Shift? So we we used to think that there was actually something as an accurate memory. Okay. I and mean, there are people with photographic memories, right? Right, and, right. And, and people could, if if you dug, and this was the whole hypothesis around hypnothera- hypnotherapy is that, oh, if I dig deep enough and I get you okay. in the right state, you will actually remember how it went. Bullshit. You will remember <laughs> some narrative that you've created at this age, and you will recount it to please the therapist who is... You know, hypnotizing you, or like to some influence in there, mm-hmm. and
3: and that's I keep uh, as you're talking about this. I keep thinking of the Brett Kavanaugh, uh, the, the uh, with the Ford lady. Uh, what's her blousy doctor Bl- Flor- Ford? Yeah, blousy Ford was that what? No. Yeah, I can't remember. Can't remember something uh, Ford. Yeah, some Ford. Ford. Um, Ford. as As yeah. she was getting up there and recounting this, the oh, like you could see the trauma. Like something happened to this woman at some point. Uh, I just don't necessarily know if it was that dude. Um, but he didn't do himself any favors. Uh, you know, I like beer. I I put himself in a bad space, but, uh, um, Have you never put yourself in a bad place? Uh, Come on. (laughs) I I don't think I would get up and, uh, and make the comment in front of, you know, the nation and the world World. and this. Like, yeah, I like beer. Like, Mm -hmm. Well, like I, just, I, I consider like it's that
5: authenticity, and I like a guy who's willing to say, hey, I've got flaws, and this uh, is one of them.
1: Well, that's because John has something to hide, apparently, about yeah. beer.
3: Um, I just Maybe you don't like beer. So I have this... Uh, maybe you're a White Claw guy. <laughs> desire. <laughs> I, like I was... Um, you guys have heard me say, like, I always hope when the people that we've elected or the people that are put in the front to make important decisions in our country uh, are held to a certain standard or present at least a certain... Outward appearance to where I trust them. Well, and, that's been the game
5: forever. You know, that's why they wear their suits and yeah, they I'd, use the jargon. And I'm, I'm past, I'm past that. Like, well, I, be I mean, fucking real. Tell me what you really think, and I'll decide if I want you to represent me or not. But you're like you're encouraging them to stand in front of you and tell you uh, what they what they think well, you want to hear, and you go,
3: yeah, that's what I want. But you and have then, to remember, we don't get to slick Supreme Court judges. I mean, you know, they're nominated by the president and they're approved by you know the members of. You know, uh, but we do, get, we
5: do get to elect the president. We
3: do get to elect the president and
5: lots of other folks. Let's bring it back. Okay, let's uh, bring it back to psychotherapy and so memory. And what I'd
1: like to do is maybe start, like, let's start at trauma, because I feel like that's a broad-brush term, mm-hmm. right? Because there's emotional trauma, there's physical trauma, like a back injury. So it, it, do we delineate between those when we talk trauma, or is it a pretty global approach?
4: Some people do. Okay. Uh, there are some life coaches out there on Instagram that are, are saying they're specialists in emotional trauma. And uh, I have an issue with that. But uh, basically. Tra- what,
3: which part? The experts on Instagram part? or The, the pseudo experts oh, on pse- Instagram. Okay, that's the part. Well, I think everybody has a problem. I, I think problem. she's
4: talking
1: about Hubert Cumberdale. I don't know <laughs> who that is. Amazing life coach on Instagram. He's all over John's feed.
3: No. See the guy I'm who familiar. has all the pictures with the shirt off?
1: No, that's the penguin.
3: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the penguin got his uh, Wade's Army shirt. Yeah, at some point we're going to have. But to he let hid the
1: to so the question. To loop you in. Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to loop you in. We've got a couple trolls that troll. Turn, our turn these other mics oh. off so Tara can answer. And it's one of these guys <laughs> in their are spare time are trolling. It's totally
3: ourselves. you. <laughs> so Luke is trolling us. Uh, he created this thing called the penguin and uh, <laughs> this is him. It's uh, I think it's, it's, a, text, it's a collaboration it's me, between
2: babe. Harry and Luke. But, John, we didn't mail Harry or Luke a Wade's Army shirt.
4: Mm.
2: That, How did he get the packaging? Uh, that He took a picture to throw us off at the deal. He hid the size, so I can't narrow it down. It's your smart penguin. <laughs> All
1: right, sorry, Tara. I'm bringing it back down. So going into these Instagram mm-hmm. influencers, focusing on this emotional trauma, right. but...
4: But basically, trauma is anything that overwhelms the nervous system. Okay. So if it causes a sympathetic arousal, a fight, flight, or freeze response, um, it, we can classify it as trauma to varying degrees. And the myth about trauma has been that it is on a scale, and if, you have a, you know, if you're raped or if you have a massive near-death experience, then your uh, recovery or your impact of that is going to be proportionate to the event. And what we know is that's not true. Mm-hmm. Really, the nervous system you're born with a certain kind of size and shape of resilience from genetics. um, But then it's influenced over time. And really, that influence starts second trimester in utero. And over the course of your life, overwhelming events kind of layer up the container. So trauma is always what's in the container at the time of the event, which is why some people can have a ton of trauma and do really, really well, not have a lot of symptoms, not feel like they're, that they haven't recovered from it and then they have a minor fender bender and all of a sudden uh, I have insomnia. I have, a lot of women will get fibromyalgia diagnoses. Mm-hmm. There's all of these other psychosomatic or emotional dysregulated states that happen often after a minor trauma, which can be confusing for people because they've been so resilient up to that point. So it, it kind of is how much overwhelm has happened over the course of your lifetime and then it's a tipping point. You get symptoms when the cup isn't full when it's overflowing.
1: So it's like it, it accumulates yep. over time. And but you increase capacity but it accumulates. But then is that is that global or are are we well, going to le- lean well, into and, methods? And there's a
5: and there's a daily sort of level, right? There's res- the resiliency component mm-hmm. based on how healthy you are, but physically and mentally mm-hmm. at the time. Can that's you know why maybe a defender bender mm-hmm. sent mm-hmm. you over the edge cuz you didn't like you've been whatever sleep deprived for a couple of weeks Yep. You're, You've been drinking a lot. You you know, you're whatever. You're out of Mm -hmm. shape. Like you're physiologically Mm -hmm. broken at the time. That that fucks with your resiliency as well. Mm -hmm. And probably nothing fucks with your resiliency more than sleep deprivation. And I guess we see
1: maybe micro instances of that. Like uh, when you stub your toe, you know, that one day, and all of a sudden it's the end of like, that's it. Fuck this. I'm out of here. Right. You know, like, and it's just the biggest deal where you stub your toe maybe 20 times before, and it's just like ah ooh. Right? Is that kind of what we're like, talking That's why, like, you can
5: play in the NFL and smash and grind and then really get butt hurt when you get beat at ping pong.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, things mm. that things like that can happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've only been... Uh, I think the score is pretty... Uh, unbalanced and have, and have in terms to compensate. The and, fucking and, ass and, whoopings I've and, handed and out. And now it's your credentials all saw, the time around ping pong. Yeah, I oh. saw
1: John drop 400 pounds of steel plates on his toe and just barely wince. But yesterday... <laughs> After I smoked him, he went up crying to his house to have his daughters, you know, console him.
3: <laughs> you know what? He did beat me. It was a rare day that he actually handed me a loss. And then, you know, what I had to do. I had to, uh, you know, go down to the minors, hone my game by whooping Texas ass all around and then whooped up on the intern. Okay. It was good. You know what? I felt like I got uh, enough practice in to be competitive again. Like, it's not my fault for these guys down here are fucking time blocking. Oh, we're working out, but we played 400 ping pong games.
2: I, I work. I work on my resiliency by hanging out with John's daughter, Jamie. Yeah, <laughs> really good at talking trash. She is uh, actually pretty good at uh, talking trash. So,
1: So, I guess there's this kind of proverbial container that's mm-hmm. constantly accumulating. Uh, but we want the goal is to, I guess, increase that margin, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And that's kind of what we're getting into here with, or like what you're specializing in.
4: Yes. Because people will typically shrink their life to match where their activation level is. And then they go, oh, I'm OCD about everything and my environment is totally controlled, And but, but I feel better. I feel like I've got this. So people typically tend to shrink, but we're really designed to grow. And our resiliency should be something that we actively are expanding. Mm-hmm. But if your container's full, you're kind of in this stuck place. So what we do with the kind of work I do is... We will work through some traumas, but we don't need to work through all of them. We just need the cup to be half empty. So we're just empty. When you say work cup. through
3: trauma, like can you be more specific? Like can. how do we work through trauma?
4: So if somebody comes in with trauma, we won't work on it the first session because they're charged to be there. But you access the nervous system through the felt sense. So instead of somebody telling me about their trauma from start to finish, we, we call it like a dog that takes you to the park, right? People are going to go to the worst part of their trauma with their negative brain bias and tell you the worst thing first. But that's just going to recharge what they already have in their nervous system. So we start at the end, which is, when did you know that you survived? So if somebody's come in and they've had a near-death experience, and I say, when do you know that you survived? Usually they go, uh, uh, yeah. I... I i don't know and they so we we create an endpoint so even in this room even in this moment taking in that you survived as they take that in everything starts to shake out sometimes they'll sweat they'll shake they'll tremor they'll do like a deer would do mm-hmm. and so instead of saying what do you feel or how does that make you feel or what do you think about that i'll say what do you notice and that is directing into that primal sense of the felt sense which is Usually they'll say, "Uh, I'm shaking, I'm hot, I'm just noticing that. So we track physical sensation until we can get that nervous system into a more parasympathetic state because those people are sitting there charged, stuck in fight or flight that they can't complete. So we start there at the end and bring them into a parasympathetic state and then start to work our way back. And how we work through the story is by chopping it up. So it lays down a memory, even though the memory is false, it's an interpretation. We chop it up, we start at the end, we go to the beginning, and every time there's activation where somebody feels like they're starting to get into that fight or flight state, we pause the story so they stay within a range, bring them into parasympathetic so they can come down, and it's like reteaching the nervous system how to breathe. A little bigger, a little bigger, but as we chop up the story and stitch it back, it lays down a memory different. So then it doesn't give the flashback the same. Through the nervous, through the physical body, where do you notice feeling the calmest? Where do you notice your breath move the easiest? So where we tell the brain to go, then it will initiate those turning off of alarms that are have been stuck in in readiness.
5: So like what what feels best about your body right now? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm I'm freaking out, and you're like, well where, where do you feel really good? And
4: I'd say where do you where like, do you notice feeling the calmest, or the heaviest, or the most supported? Where do you, So feet on the ground, butt in the chair. And as people not, bring their not awareness. Not butt
1: in
5: the chair. Those are terrible chairs.
3: My
1: butt hurts
5: already, so let's wrap this thing up.
3: You've been butt hurt all week, buddy. I was going to say, that sounds like uh, your date on Tuesday night might have been a little rough. <laughs> uh, Figured Yeah, he was rough. <laughs> no, now that yeah, I think about well, it. Well, you know, that's what Parsi looks for in a date, is strong hands and hairy knuckles. Mm-hmm. Tex. Yeah, perfect <laughs> for you.
1: How have you guys not gone out for, you know, lattes or whatever? <laughs> Uh, tapas let's go for tapas tapas. uh so is there could a strategy also be since like there's this layering and accumulation effect Mm -hmm. and understanding that maybe there's these micro trauma that are supporting a larger heavier trauma like to tick away at those things first
4: we tick away at the the most recent most recent so it's like
5: it is a recency
1: so we kind of
4: yeah
5: Bring the container level down. Bring the container level down because
4: if there's something in there that's significant, you need more resource in your system to be able to handle it. And so the goal is to never take people out of a range of tolerance where they can, where they're going into fight or flight again. We want to see a little bit of arousal and activation. Then we want to bring them down out of it. And we kind of do this flow throughout the whole session.
1: And with like a near death experience, I mean, there could be physical trauma. In mm-hmm. like perceived pain as well, because we got a couple docs or physical therapists that are in more of the, what would you call it? Kind of like a progressive uh, thought on pain. I thought right? it was,
3: uh, they call it like, the, like uh, Dr. Tom's like per, uh, pain, pain neural matrix theory yeah. in the
1: sense that, you know, tissue, you're, you can't feel your tissue. You can feel your nerves well, or some, bas- something along those lines. Something
3: about pain gets stored within the tissue. And like that's uh, like it gets it gets stored in the myofascial yeah, uh, no, my,
5: myofascial planes, which I, turned out to be the meridian systems. I,
3: I had this in my shoulder. Uh, I remember, yeah. um, uh, you know, obviously when I damaged my shoulder, I went to actually I, I think it was Dr. Tom or somebody else went to do a series of injections. And I remember the guy put the needle right in and I like kind of tensed up. He's like, is that a familiar pain? I'm like, yeah, no, that's the exact pain I've had. Like I knew (laughs) like it was, uh, you guys have heard, heard me give the analogy. It's like an old friend coming to visit. Like I like heard the knock on the door and I was like, come in old friend. I remember this pain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just like in it, that was yeah, probably like one of my first um, experiences where I realized that like pain, there's a familiarity with pain, and like we store memories, and like there's this whole thing around it, and like mm-hmm. it's it's um, like perception of pain is a really fascinating one. Like something happens to me, something happens to you, and we have two different you know pain thresholds, perceptions of pain. Something that might be the single most painful isn't to other people. Mm-hmm. So like there, that's what I always thought was interesting with like the pain scale. It's just like on a on a zero to ten, where is this pain scale? And like, I, I've seen that. Like, um, uh, like my dad took like no painkillers through his cancer, and I knew he had the single most painful cancer, his stomach cancer, and yet was like, "What do you mean? I'm fine." And yet, like another family member had a similar cancer and was like on morphine the minute that they uh, put him in a morphine coma, like the minute it happened. So it's really interesting when you look at like I think it comes down to how people's capacity, like how much capacity do you have to deal with suffering and pain and i think and that varies day to day though well i think it does but i think yeah. it's also like like anything like you build up tolerances well, to things well she was saying like that a lot of that's genetically rooted
5: and it and it depends on the nervous system of your mother when you're going the conversation you and i have had mm-hmm. about the differences between kids with the same parents yeah has a lot to do with the nervous system of the mother during the development of that child and i actually learned that from
3: this gal right here so what uh, mm-hmm. if um, you know, everybody's going to have trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I think uh, a life that doesn't have trauma is probably a very short life or one that just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So like whether or not the traumas are massive or they're interpreted to be massive or whatever it is like. So if trauma is just a, a, a natural progression and a piece of living, uh, are there tools that we can exercise that we can use, um, you know, with significant others, people, co-workers, you know, friends, family. But is there is there things that people can do to kind of, create like coping mechanisms almost so that Mm -hmm. when things don't overflow?
4: Absolutely. Well, the first thing would be, I mean, we're born storytellers. It's how, um, you know, ages ago, however many ages ago, they used to protect themselves. The women would all, you know, sit in a circle all day and chatter. And that gossipy chatter that is so screeching would keep the wild animals away. But it was. <laughs> 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 the
3: sewing circle. <laughs> Eric Edmides
4: talks about this a lot. He hung out with these tribal cultures, and, and that was why the women were so uh,
3: cackling, catty. Yeah. Cackling.
4: I'm trying not to use a derogatory term, but women's voices Why? are different. Why? Yeah, it's kind of you, you, like a murder
1: of
3: crows, you know. Yes. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like a lot of screeching on chalkboard. And so in rah! the daytime,
4: the the animals wouldn't come near because there's all this activity, noise, and then the men would protect the the camp um, at night around fire by telling their stories. But their stories were geared to help cue other people for knowledge of survival, so it had a survival basis. Now we just tell stories because. Uh, we like to be important. We like to have that come out. We have, we're addicted to it. So I would say for anybody that's had a traumatic experience, first of all, we do need another nervous system that's really grounded to help us through that experience. So how you tell the story is different, which is why when I work with people, I often say, be careful how much you talk about this to other people and who you're talking about this with. I would also say sleep, um, is a huge thing. It's the great regulator of the nervous system. When we're working with the nervous system, if somebody has chronic pain, if they have trauma and they're not getting enough sleep or restorative sleep, it's the first thing that we work on. And if they can't find restorative sleep, we get 50% of the way and we can't really progress beyond that. So some of the self-care things, which are super cliche, but but relevant. Um, those would be important, but really, the the best thing to get through trauma, and I still do it myself, is you go get a tune up with somebody that's trained to help your nervous system come into parasympathetic. But anything that will help your nervous system come into the physical sense, into the parasympathetic, where you're resting in that uh, restorative place, is going to help.
5: And this is one of the way exercise helps with.
4: Exercise is the quickest way to change your emotional state, for sure.
5: Yeah go banging out in the gym to where you just feel fatigued and useless and calm
4: although i would say you have to be cautious the kind of exercise you do if you're if it, the trauma's been recent because yeah. a, um, a lot of women will go and they'll, they'll run and they sprint until they can't run anymore. But they've just had a trauma. So you're stuck in fight or flight and then you're actually... Fleeing. Flighting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that actual, that will continue to charge up the, the nervous system that way. Versus g- taking some time and doing something that is, you know, walking in nature or yoga or something that's a little more down. Mm-hmm. So lifting
5: weights would be like the fight. And then the fight's mm-hmm. over at some point, right? You just you're out of fight. Well, I don't know. Maybe the way you're you out lift of energy. Weights. Nice burn. Oh yeah, that was good. So it, there's That's there's good. a difference w- between trauma and stress,
1: right? Mm-hmm. So d- trauma would be a form of distress versus like you go and you train, you exercise. That would be more of like a you stress something that is pulling you back to I guess compensating for that distress. I mean, is there a relation between the two?
3: Well, it's it perception. Like something that you view as stress my, might be like something that's trauma based. Yeah, and that's where
1: I mm-hmm. do want to eventually yeah. get to. But I'm curious. Like, there are so,
5: absolutes. Like, like, if you lose your you, leg, nobody used to like, oh, that's you stress. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> if you lose limbs. Right, happens. Yeah.
1: But is there a form of trauma that can promote resiliency? Does that make sense? Or like stress to progress is a one of our taglines, right? And there's <laughs> there's truth to that, assuming you're. You're dosing it correctly, and it
2: mm-hmm.
5: doesn't. You're, well, you're, to the you're training the nervous system, right? right. Essentially, right. Or so, you can train you train? The body. The, can you train the nervous system? Basically, well, can you train it. the body to handle heavier load?
2: Right.
4: Resilience is the same way. It's not built. At, it's not built in rest. It's built during resistance. So you need the rest so that then you can have the push. So once you have worked through, if you have trauma or you have significant overwhelm once you kind of get your container back to empty, that's the time where people tend to get a little bit lazy and not, not do much. And then they're hit again by the next thing that happens in life, which is going to happen, and then they have to start all over again. If at that point then you started a new exercise program or you looked for other ways to push yourself or you started doing other things that promote the growth of your brain, any neurogenesis, um, learning something new for the first time, trying to master something, workout is a great example of how you can increase your resilience and um but it has to be from a regulated state that you start that.
1: Yeah, and I guess so if you wanted to get a bigger container without filling the container mm-hmm. it has to come from that regulated state and be very mindful and deliberate in how you're um, exposing yourself to stress or or, or trauma? Yeah. I mean, does one intentionally expose themselves to trauma to be better at handling trauma?
4: Well, or overwhelm, for sure. And it's, it's something that I did, that I do still intentionally, which is, huh, I feel like I've been fairly even for a while. What can I do to be un- a little uncomfortable? What what new workout program can I do? What new mm-hmm. skill can I learn? What environment can I put myself in? What new job can I do where I'm going to be freaking out just a little bit? Yeah,
2: what, That's in line with goal setting, correct? You're mm-hmm. creating this potential, this opportunity that is outside of your capabilities or capacity,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then you put yourself, you write objectives to accomplish that goal, uh, what I'm thinking of is Toastmasters for a intern that may or may not be able to present or introduce himself to our, our podcast guests. So that is creating a possibility outside your current capacity, stressing to progress. Yeah, that is
1: interesting. Some of us just aren't born storytellers, are we? Burn bands off, buddy. No, I, your time's coming to end. No. You got to burn
3: you know what? I think he's uh, nervous systems in stress because you know he's been uh, you know overloaded by uh, scabies. <laughs> And uh, whatever he's got going on in his ankles (laughs) have just overloaded his nervous system. And the trauma effect... It doesn't matter how much you spread those toes. What's that? Is that immune system or nervous system? Um, Well, I I mean... Is there it all? Everything's Mm. one thing. Everything Everything is everything. Everything is everything. Well, yeah, Yeah. but you have to remember the physical trauma of being bitten by that many bees and having... Or uh, not bees, but... uh, Fleas. Fleas. Uh, fleas. Bed bugs. Fleas, bed bugs, bees, whatever. I mean, you know, it could... Texas could be anything. It, it could be yeah. Cancun 2017 spring break as well.
1: Oh, is delayed outbreak. Yeah, delayed uh. outbreak.
3: Patient mm. one. Mm. 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 So patient zero. Mm. I. So I would
5: like to talk about something I know Tara loves to talk about. Because uh, I see this all over the special warfare community. EMDR. Why don't yes, you, what is it? Why don't what is you tell us what EMDR is? And why it's so great.
4: This is how I accumulate haters around the world.
5: (laughs) Haters. This is going to hate. Everybody's going to hate her after this. It's
4: true. Um, It's it's an unpopular opinion in my profession. So one that a lot of my peers won't appreciate. But EMDR is eye movement desensitization. Don't remember. Reprogramming. Uh, It basically takes people through their trauma in the storytelling fashion. And as you start to get activated, so as you tell the story, you're gonna go into that fight or flight response. Your respiration's gonna change, heart rate's gonna increase, you're gonna start sweating and getting wild. It just lets you go. And as you go, your therapist will sit there with their finger and say, just go with it. Follow my, track my finger. Just go with it, just go with it. And as you're freaking out, it will do that. Or you can um, have sound bars where you squeeze these bars on either side of, of your hands, or you follow a light tracker because the therapist got tired of moving their fingers, so they made an app so you could follow a light on. The goal of it is to get your system in such a high level of distress that it checks out. It goes into dissociation, which is the highest level of activation. Your nervous system says, we will die if we continue in this state for too long, So, and then you numb out. And it's a great feeling, and you get immediate or... Short-term, subjective, temporary relief of your symptoms, and people say it works. And it is the most widely available <laughs> trauma therapy out there. And it was created from a PhD at a university. That was, I think, she was an instructor. She was having a, going on a walk and had a traumatic memory. And when she got home, noticed that her eyes were flipping back back and forth really quickly, and then she started to feel better. Well that can be an orienting response from the reptilian brain. It can just be activation because you're scanning for threat because you're in that mode. But she created this entire um, very successful business of EMDR that is used for trauma most commonly. Uh, it, it, could
3: it be said because of the state in which we live in today where I would say that the traumas and the, the issues that we encounter on a daily basis are not what they were two or 300 years ago? Absolutely. whereas I think like um, hey don't run away from the house uh, wild animals will eat you you know like there was uh, a lot more dangers so I think kids were probably indoctrinated in things that they saw probably uh, when trauma happened it wasn't as big a deal because they'd been exposed to so many things um, whereas now you know the you know mm-hmm. we have P, you know kids with PTSD based off of stories that they hear yeah. you know like um, I, I saw the cyberbullying, no, but I, that, I saw them do uh, some, some study that like there were individuals that they analyzed that were coming back with PTSD that had never actually been outside the wire. But had been inside like within the base but had heard stories and been privy to information and that stressed them out to give them PTSD yep. so like they they were saying that like you know you don't even like something doesn't even have to the trauma doesn't even have to happen to you somebody recounting trauma to you can yep. create PTSD
4: vicarious so th- trauma yeah
3: Yeah. so that was like yep. a, a, a big thing where they were you know just trying to make these definitive claims about PTSD and they're like well, well we need to analyze this a little bit mm-hmm. better because it's uh, you know why is it too that the uh, the more well-trained somebody is? Like in the SEAL teams that have this huge amount of training, PTSD is not nearly as prevalent as, as, as for those with less training.
4: So there's <laughs> two parts of that. The I mean, the first thing is that we know is that we are these primal animals and our brains are evolved, but they haven't evolved as fast as our life has. And so people are experiencing anxiety, which is basically a fight or flight response with no um, evolutionary or survival advantage. There's no purpose to it. So it's this chronic level of buzz and clutter that's happening that's charging up the the container, so that we don't have enough room for the what we would call the real traumas, yeah. the life, the real life or death that we need to be protecting against. So, really, we're <coughs> burning out our mind with the, the society that we live in and and the level of chronic stress that happens. So, that would be one part of it. The other thing with first responders that have PTSD, um, first responders, um, military um, athletes in general, there's a certain type of container that goes into those kinds of professions. So they, they typically have really robust containers from birth. They also typically have layers of trauma through their life, but they're really good at compartmentalizing. So I've worked with a lot of firefighters that do, they can do their job all day long for years with PTSD and and they're excellent but they have three failed marriages and they have um, you know they can't connect with their children or they're falling apart in other areas of their life so they can have resilience and hold you know the grit that they need for their performance in their jobs but outside of that compartment they fall apart and so then we have to work on some of those other areas but there's the mess of trauma that's in their nervous system is real trauma um, because of the work they do, but it's all—it's vicarious. They've witnessed it. When we see kids that have anxiety, one of the first things that we talk about is—I mean, it really matters what we put into our visual uh, environment, what we put into our minds. Where, you know, roller coasters and horror movies are great, but if your nervous system is full. You you have that charge, that adrenaline rush, that fight or flight response from watching somebody murdered in a in a horror movie. So for kids, especially if they've had significant, if their environments are stressed, that's not a positive thing. And they do they do get PTSD from hearing these stories, because we have less and less resilience every decade of of children that come out right now. Why is that? I think it's the influx of stimulus that our brains really weren't created early on to get as much as they do.
5: Like all the screen stuff, you mean like uh, all the screen stuff.
4: but also moms are stressed. So we've talked about um, your your nervous system is really got the genetic imprint, but it is impacted really mostly by primary caregiver, which is usually mom in the first few years of life. Yeah, but, but every first, mom you know,
3: is stressed. I'm like, i like... Uh, like, my mom was like on... High, she's still on high alert. Like, our entire <laughs> life we were like... <laughs> Like you know, like when they in the movies are so like, we've reached Defcon, you know, five, and then they go yeah, to Defcon four. My mom was like a Defcon five to Defcon one but person. But when is
1: your mom ever coward to stress? You know what I mean? Like,
5: Oh, uh,
3: dude, she um she doesn't stress. Of course, I from know. From what you've said, your mom's
5: like, harden up, pussy, get out there. Oh yeah, my mom's not. Uh, that's not an anxious person. No, John, my mom is. is
1: like that's uh,
3: somebody who's alert and aware and protective. Well, that my my mom is also anxious. will come. You know, like the I guess the most. She's stressful. gonna kick in the door soon. She knows we're talking about it. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. The either.
4: helicopter moms are the ones you want to worry about. Well, no, like, because my, they're creating that.
3: Well, I, I think the um, the helicopter parents are usually the ones that are uninvolved. And then, uh, you know, if there's a, some form of like traumatic, stressful situation or something that requires it's the fucking, you know, let's send it and drop bombs on it. Whereas my mom was just. Uh, okay. It's like a callus. She's just constant, yes. never ending on you. So, like, like I, I would have hoped for the helicopter, but my mom was just like, you know, I've been pinned down by gunfire for eighteen years. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. And it built resiliency in you. See? Yeah. And no. she it's...
5: swooped in and solved all your problems. <laughs> You'd be a soft little buttercup no, right my, now. No, my, and, my and mom a, would to, go with. Um,
3: you went to college. You're a grown adult. Yeah. Figure it the fuck out, which is what mm-hmm. my dad would say. Mm-hmm. You know. I I think uh, you do. I mean, I remember my mom's told me this bit of it parenting. You do uh, your kids no favors by solving all their problems. Absolutely. Like if if the first failure your child feel or ever experiences is like as a teen or like later in life. That's a huge problem. Well, they have no, they've built no container at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why do you,
5: why would you build a container if there's nothing, if there's nothing that's ever going to go in it, why would you have it? um, And and if your parents are solving all your problems, never allowing you to be disappointed, never allowing you to be hurt, never allowing, we're talking about on the way here that mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a common thing now for these millennials that their parents will go to their work and complain to their bosses about shit that their kids are experiencing at work in their 30s. Well, you but, know, but uh, if... if um, they don't have a container.
3: Like I, I, they're I, dealing with a Dixie cup. I was trying to... Yeah, was, uh, <laughs> my wife and I were talking about this, and I made the, the point the other day, like, I hope my kids fail at everything. And I hope, like, my daughters and son, like, uh, you know, date somebody, I, I hope they get their heart broken, and hoping that hope it happens at a young age so they're not, like... Forty years old, and they get their heart broken. And they don't know how to deal with it. Like I want them to experience failure and like crash, like and do these things as a kid, so that like when it happens for real, it's not something that's like monumental. Yeah, to and them. Cash should
5: find that girl early. That's going to steal all this shit and tell Ozzy about him.
3: <laughs> <coughs> I'm going to fucking be. In, I'm going to be in his ear forever on this shit. I'm like stay away from those girls. They're bad news.
1: You keep your son on that side of the fence, pal. <laughs>
3: yeah. Don't be sending. I'm going to send him over Be like, hey, that Ruby Summers. <laughs> (laughs) girls uh six foot
1: two red (laughs) hair 180 pounds that's that's
3: the lady you want uh, yeah hey she she ain't a lady
1: unless she's 180 (laughs) um where was i gonna go with this shit that was i want to keep wrapping on that hypothetical as a joke but um okay so so there are progressive parents i would say like our listeners are i i I just have to believe that that's going to correct right Like there are, there's a generation of parents who are do not want to fucking go battle their kids' bosses who Mm -hmm. are 30 years old in the workforce, Mm -hmm. and I think that like that's got to correct somehow. So how do we take this downward trend of childhood resiliency and reverse it? Like it's got,
5: there's got to be a way. Catastrophe, a plague, right? What's Uh, the phrase? It's like uh, tough times build tough people. Yeah, uh, good times build soft people we yeah, saw people, people build, build tough, tough times. times so we need to have tough well, times again and we're
3: all on our way well there's uh, socialism if if you look at like you know and, and um, I hate like there the, was really Tara's question sorry Terry we'll, I let, hate you, we'll curb, let you talk I soon. hate the curb stomping of millennials uh, just because it's not their fault like it <laughs> realistically is not their fault it's their <laughs> fucking parents fault for allowing it like kids will just I, I was curb stomping the parent actually well uh, yeah. uh, 100% and, and like I, I get into it where people are like oh these damn millennials I'm like it's the parents the kids only know what their parents taught them and the problem is is that it's uh people older than me and probably around my age uh, you know like probably have kids in there I mean I'm 43 so you know if I had made some bad choices in high school early in college I could have like a kid in my 20s and like that Mm -hmm. kind of fits within that millennial (laughs) age and I'm like man like it's hard for me to uh listen to like my kids problems and instead of like and and I, I was kind of thinking like um uh, as a parent, your job is to like give your kids the tools to, to, to do things. Like if I want them to make fire, I have to teach them and give them the tools to make fire. Like me making them fire is just going to keep them warm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like teaching them how to read, like they need to learn to read and like argue with my daughters every day on like why reading is important, why math is important, why you need all these things. And if I just did their homework for them. So I almost wonder if it's like laziness of the parents where it's like, it's too much work for me to explain this shit. Just give it to me. I'll do it for you. And that, mm-hmm. and it just comes down to the parents uh, either don't have the bandwidth or the desire to, like, show the failure of this and this. It's just easier for me to do it
2: for you. I, I do have yeah. a good
3: quote
4: bandwidth. Is a big to, one
2: uh, to interject real quick. <clears throat> so this is from Graham Greene in a book called The Third Man. You know what the you know what the fellow said in Italy for thirty years under. Boragus, they had warfare, warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love, they had 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. hmm hmm Well, do you know why the Renaissance happened?
3: No. Based off of the Crusades? People moving around. People hadn't been moving around before. <clears throat> Tough times. Yeah. So let's so let's swing it back to
1: actually is there, ask
5: her the question again. Yeah, I is there a that. method to,
1: as let's say, a, a young first time parent with a twelve week old kid, mm. like uh, in building my parenting philosophy from guys like John and other you know uh, seasoned fathers and mothers, like wh- where does that resilience piece fit in for a youngster, or even I guess, man, I guess if somebody wants to become more resilient as an adult, like is it the yep. same methodology?
4: It's similar, yeah. Uh, I would say when I my kids um, went through some trauma and I had taken them to see, or I suggested to my therapist that I, you know, she see my kids and she said, you do the work first. Because resilient parents, regulated parents, um, naturally create more regulated children, not as an absolute, but it sets the environment and our nervous systems template off of who we're around. So that's why that early zero to two is really important for the mom to be really connected. um, because it teaches the infant nervous system, how to template off of something healthy. And it teaches them that this is a safe place to be. My needs are going to be met and it helps them regulate, every time they have a you know they cry for hunger they have a need it's met and it comes down so it's not the like the tough love is is appropriate later where you let them fail in a safe loving place but in the beginning you want to really be attuned to what the baby's needs are and then fr- as they grow developmentally you want to present challenges in a safe space so that they can succeed but also fail on their own and know that this is this is still supported. Mm-hmm. So it's similar as an adult, you would you would do similar, but as it's much easier when the the brain isn't developed yet.
3: Well, the other thing uh,
5: I think, so too, for... Luke uh, needs to unfuck himself before he's no, going to be a good dad. No, sure everything's fine over here, Doc. Okay.
3: I, everything's fine. Fine. Uh, I think if you give your kids smaller tasks to fail at, like bigger things won't feel insurmountable. Like, like teaching them to ride a bike, that was like a huge thing for us is like learning to ride bikes, and they failed, and this, and I went through this whole mm-hmm. thing, and I always tell them, if the hardest thing that you have to do is learn how to ride a bike in this world... We're way ahead of the curve. I hope your life is this easy, but it's not going to be. So let's mm-hmm. figure this thing out. And then I just went and got them new bikes for their eighth birthday. And like now they have uh, handbrakes, which was mm-hmm. pretty funny watching them try to ride down the hill and not realize that they, as they were like trying to go backwards with them, ah! I'm like, God, I hope they crash. They're wearing helmets. They'll be fine. And sure enough, they did. And then it was like crying. I don't want to do this. I'm like, get back on the bike. Like, this is part of like learning. We have to do this. And I'm like going through this stuff and I'm like, God, this is so they don't tell about this stuff as a parent, like that you're like watching your kid like crash and you're like, you want to run over there and be like, no, 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 let me do And then you're like, no, I just want them to go down and skin the fuck out of their knee. Yeah. So
1: John, you know, what's interesting about the girls though is they do all of this failure or achievement comes alongside their best friend. So kind of like a team sport environment yeah. versus like individual, just mom and dad yeah. or father, son, you know, like, um,
3: siblings, is that, does that,
1: does that, affect or change anything? Is that an added dynamic? Is anyone looking into that in terms of like an individual achievement versus team achievement? Well, yeah, fail-
3: I, likewise failure? I just know, or not, not to cut the doc off, but like I know just from observation of like kids that we've been around and me and my and this, like uh, a lot of stuff was already figured out by the time I was like, it came up to me. Like my, my brothers, I'd seen them ride bikes. I knew like <laughs> what to do. So like I just had like a, a blueprint to follow. So I think for uh, my, I have twin daughters, uh, our first kids, for them, like, it's really interesting because, like, I think they're trying to, like, probably, like, young parents just trying to figure shit out, whereas, like, they don't have, like, an older brother or sister to look to. So uh, I've taken the task of, like, um, of uh, what I view is, and I know this is kind of strange, like, I want to pr- prep them much like an older brother would prep them. So I uh, I'm, I joke and I make fun of them constantly. And I, like, try to, like, do the same things my brothers did. I'm like, I'm your dad, but I want to... Uh, put you guys in a situation where you guys understand how to like verbally defend yourself a little bit so I constantly am like playing with them we work on puns like I make them tell jokes and I'm like I want you guys to be funny and more importantly I want your sense of humor to be heightened enough to where one uh, somebody says something to you you're not gonna like you know oh you look fat in those pants and all of a sudden it fucking crushes your life for a year they'd be like oh yeah no my dad says way worse shit to me than that so like that piece and I I think the one thing which is amazing or interesting about girls is um girls are very very hypersensitive about just even small things and I think it's because nobody ever says anything so I don't know if it's going to work but I know with uh Jamie and Kelly they're so competitive with each other like um they're and just give you an example they're doing this thing where they have to run a mile uh like they run time miles at school and so uh Killy's been like finishing like first or second and then Jamie's in another class like first or second, and so now they uh, they have like an end of the year where they take all the kids and they have to run and I guess Jamie beat Killy last year, so then Killy joined Run club. so they have to go at like 7 a.m. they're in second grade and they'll run before school. So what does Jamie do? She gets in the run club too. and so now they're mm-hmm. going and like getting to school at seven to go out and try to run these miles because they're like convinced that if they run more then they'll be able to beat the other one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but I think it's fucking hilarious.
4: I think a lot of parents actually forget. uh, They get enamored maybe with the baby part of it, but they forget that your job as a parent is to create healthy, resilient life that extends beyond you, that doesn't depend on you, that is sent out to the world. So... In, in my parenting and as I learned about the kids' you know, have minds developing and what they needed, it's really that sense of we're, we have connection and I'm present, but these are the lessons I'm teaching you so that you can go out into the world and not need me and be resilient in your own right. And so... So far, that's worked as teenagers. They're one of few that don't have any anxiety, that don't have panic attacks going to high school, that uh, succeed in their sports and fail in their sports, and it's not the end of the world for them.
3: Well, what did you do different?
4: I did my own work first. That was huge. And as I was more grounded and more and healthier, as my nervous system was more regulated, I was able to respond to them differently. So they didn't charge me up when I was more regulated. Um, the way that they did before when I was still kind of in a heightened state or a traumatized state. Was it
3: good to yell at your kids?
4: Oh, I still do. Okay, I do. But it's not because I'm reactive and I've lost control. It's because this is a human reaction. If you push somebody in life to this level, they're going to tell you to fuck off or they're going to punch you in the face. Yeah. So I haven't punched them in the face. I've wanted to. And any parent that has said that they never want oh, to no their I, kid uh, is a liar, but uh, <laughs> I, I,
3: I, they uh, do
4: um, bring you to the edge of yourself on purpose.
3: Uh, the mess my kids make on a daily basis, like I walk in and I'm like, I, like I'll like I'll have cleaned and straightened up. And I walk in and I'm like, it looks like, a fucking bomb went off in here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how is it that things this little can make this much mess this fast? Fucking like unbelievable to me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? And then <laughs> I, I got to yell about it. And yeah. I'm like, oh God.
4: Yeah. So the consequences of life should be what they've learned it. They've been inoculated to a certain degree in the home environment, in a safe place. And then they have better skills to do that when they they leave. That's well, the idea.
5: One, one of the, this makes me think of a, one of the biggest problems in and not just the SEAL teams, but all, all special forces, is that most of the money you spend on training is wasted, right? Because 85% of people fail, that means 85 cents of every dollar you spend is just wasted money. And so, if you can recoup that, if you can get 10% more people, to, like, it's a huge deal, right? Um, and so a buddy of mine, uh, Eric Potter, right, is a, a psychologist as well, and he works for the Yankees now, but um, they task him with predicting who could Make it through, buds. Like I want some sort of formula to where we can figure out when people apply what makes them more likely to succeed. And he spun on it for about six months, and he's like, you know, I, I can't do this. He said, what I can do probably is predict failure, though. I can't predict success. And he said, if, and, and this isn't an absolute, but it's all about the stress inoculation. Related, he basically said, if the, if the worst thing you've ever been through is that your parents got divorced, you know bet against that guy right doesn't mean that people with stressless lives don't make it through or couldn't make it through but if you're hedging your bets and you're just like hey man we gotta we gotta cut we gotta say no to somebody say no to the guy who hasn't had any big stress in life
1: yet. and that would that be like on a cohort analysis right for like a class you would evaluate those parameters and then you could you can hedge your bets within that specific population or is it kind of a global, would he imagine be a global deal?
5: Yeah, I, I, there might be like a different gig for officers and enlisted because they're, the success rate is hugely different and I think like, it's only 15% of officers fail out and like 85% of enlisted fail out because um, they're screened more heavily before they come in. It's so damn competitive to even get in there. So there, there may be some differences in there. I'm, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but it was successful enough to, uh, I I forget the percentage of a small, like two or 3% or something over his three years there, Mm -hmm. but they estimate that just that's gonna save uh, Spec just the training center of Spec that'll save them $23
2: million a year. Yeah, that's a lot of bullets. Yeah, this was (laughs) Angela Duckworth's research and then the book Grit. So they brought her into and another colleague to test pre application to West Point because they had so many guys that would be accepted because on paper they were uh, just the, the perfect candidate and then as soon as they get to their hell week at uh, West Point's initial um, just the freshman year guys were dropping out so then they administer this grit scale and I think it, it's this is 2005 so I think it swung towards like the SAT mm-hmm. so now you can study for it right. but it's the unstudiable test Right. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what continues to happen with that, but. Yeah, it, it, it's,
5: a, it, it's a similar phenomenon, actually, and, and this is all anecdotal. I don't know that this has actually been documented, but um, across all, all the generations of SEALs I know, like the guy that you're absolutely certain is going to pass is the first guy who's going to qu- uh, quit or fail. Um, so like the super stud guy, and, and this fits with Eric's, uh, hypothesis is that this dude's been successful his entire life. Like he's the captain of every team. He was a good looking, handsome man, comes from a privileged family.
3: He's got like. So, like a young duck per, uh, Parsley. Yeah, yeah, something like me. And. Uh, so, uh, you know, his nickname was Silver Spoon. Mm-hmm. You know, S- Silver Spoon Parsley. That's what he was known on the SEAL team. Yeah, I was Shoeless Joe, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, um,
5: yeah, so if, if um, you know, again, if you know, they could they could be physically strong and even psychologically strong uh, well adapted people that would do great in society but you're not going to do greatness you're not going to do great in an environment where you're always a fucking loser and you're always failing Regardless, right. No and matter
1: the achievement you have, it's right. Yeah, always right. the bottom of the barrel.
5: Right. And so, when, you're, when so you, you think, when guys, you go through training like me, and you've been taught your whole fucking life going, that <laughs> you're useless and
3: you're a loser, and you're like, hey, this is, is yeah. uh, this is yeah. I'm home. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> are you mom? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. Oh, I found like a duck in water. This is <laughs> like, oh, it feels just like yeah. Uh, whereas yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying like if somebody's always had success. Yeah. And then they go into something that's designed, regardless of your success, to... We used to in the
5: NFL, too, right? Just, like, super talented
3: guys that are total candy asses? Yeah. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was interesting, like, uh, what I noticed is that the guys that hadn't had hardship earlier in their career... Because, uh, you know, like, once you get to the NFL, everybody's going to get hurt, and there's just only a very select few of people, like, that just avoid injury and, like, don't have anything like the Will Shields where they, you know, start 14 years and don't miss a play and has no major injuries. Like, that guy was uh, an anomaly. Whereas I think uh, guys that come in the NFL and then they have some form of major injury, if they hadn't had something earlier uh, where they had to kind of rebuild and come back, a lot of guys mm-hmm. just are never able to really do it. From you know,
2: so. from an outsider, I don't, I don't know Vince Young, but he was – went to school outside of houston so madison state champion then it went to ut national champion Ugh. and then rookie offensive rookie of the year and that was it hmm. yeah it just uh, yeah i mean all, all of a sudden you get to a place
3: where like everybody's good everybody's fast everybody's strong everybody has all their shit in one sock you know like to quote dave brewer and and then what's the difference? I mean, it's like the RG three thing. You know, he's uh, you know able to play it at, at such a high level because of the talent. Then all of a sudden, everybody, you know, he has uh, linebackers that are two hundred sixty pounds are as fast as him. Next thing you know, the guy's just a train wreck.
2: you RG three still in the league? Is he?
3: Yeah, back with up, who? Uh, Baltimore. Wow, didn't know that. But then, like, uh, we've seen this phenomenon, especially with, like, the kid in uh, Jacksonville and also... Uh, oh, Garden Minshew or uh, Nick Foles? Uh, Nick Foles is a good story. Well, like, all, all, all these quarterbacks that had, like, all of this really interesting uh, drama and, like, uh, uh, trouble in their lives and this. They go through and, like, you see these guys,
2: like, just through resiliency, just mm-hmm. continue slinging the ball. Yeah. Having fun with it versus... Uh, Josh Rosen, I guess, is the, the picture of the perfect... Player, his dad was a former professional athlete, star-studded candidate at US UCLA, and then first-round pick to Arizona. And after one year, they shipped him off to Miami. Oh, that's where they send all good players to die.
3: <laughs> <laughs> God. So, Tara, is,
2: is there something? Uh,
5: is there something that you can that you can do to prepare yourself for like a known stressor? So, like if you know you're going to. SEAL training or you know you're going to take it up a level in Mm -hmm. the NFL or something like is there something that you can do to say I'm going to make myself more resilient to the trauma that I know is coming Mm
4: -hmm. (sighs) that's almost harder than the trauma that you don't know is coming (laughs) (laughs) yeah So, I mean, we know that a regulated nervous system is really the basis for all health. It impacts your immune system, your ability to recover, your performance, uh, your ability to grow. So um, all of that, for me, everything comes back to learning how to regulate your nervous system, which is maybe doing some of this work with a professional, but also looking at... um, Knowing when you're feeling stressed, pushing yourself a little, and then knowing how to bring yourself out of the stress. Um, in a physical way as well as in a mental mindset way, because I don't think you can ever diminish the power of the mind To if you really want to be strong. We have people now that actually don't want to be strong, so they never really get better. But there are people that really want it, and they can kind of gear themselves up for it. So... Um, I also would say that in the work that we do, we never underestimate the power of imagination because your nervous system, your brain doesn't actually care if something's happening in this moment, in the past or in the future that you're making up. Either way, it will respond. So you can set yourself up for success in stress that is known stress by imagining um, how you want to perform, by imagining best outcomes, by kind of doing the fantasy play with using your imagination to Become kind of ready for that state. Does that answer your question, Kurt? Yeah, hmm.
2: we can tie that back to goals, right? You're creating and imagining a where you want to be, mm-hmm. and that does take some. That does take some coaching, right? You don't want to overreach, but then you don't wanna, also don't want to underreach if yeah. someone sees some potential within you.
5: <clears throat> yeah, that as you're saying that, it it made me think of. I, I don't think I had like any positive motivation, but um, you know, I, I definitely had something to prove when I was going to SEAL training. And I, I often envisioned myself dying during training, but I was totally cool with it. It's like, yeah, that, that I'm cool. That's how I'll go out because I'm not going to quit. So if this, if I'm doing this and it
3: causes my heart to explode and I die, that's cool, man. Go uh, Go out like a hero. I mean, um, you're obviously not a dumb dude. I mean, having gone through med school and I've you know, known you for a number of years, but I sometimes wonder if uh, the more intelligent somebody is in terms of like emotion and feedback and like just like hyper, um, like, I don't know what the word is, just...
1: Like more socially
3: aware? Net, or um, or just, just like more like... Um, Perceptive, yeah, yeah. Like I, I sometimes think, mindful in in the SEAL teams, like probably the dude who's not maybe not as intelligent, not analyzing everything. that just fucking wakes up, wants to see the next day, and just fucking goes the like, Forrest Gump way of just getting, well, like so, looking
5: for some guy named Charlie. So
3: we had a dude uh, <laughs> that trained with us. He was in high school, went to Newport. His parents were very successful. Like mom was a big time realtor. Dad, you know, grew up like you know very uh, well to do. And I remember he came to us at like 15 and was like, I want to be a SEAL. And so he trained with us at the CrossFit gym. And I remember at like 18, he was like, hey, I graduated high school. And he went to Newport. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of opportunities. He's like, I'm going to enjoy enroll or I'm I'm joining the Navy. I'm going to be a SEAL. So he trained with Bo Bergner and Bo just uh, who was who had been a SEAL. uh, Bo just like harassed the shit out of him. And he trained with Bo for probably a year. And then sure enough, he goes to. Uh, Graduates high school, goes to uh, the Navy, ends up getting through the SEAL teams, and he was on Dave Brewer's team. Uh, and so uh, the hilarious part is, I asked him, I was like, "Hey, you know what you think of this kid?" And he's like, "Well, if you're going to be dumb, you better be hard." And that kid's hard as fucking copper yeah. nails. And <laughs> so th- he those yeah he, I mean, he, he, those those guys exist in and, a plenty. And he, <laughs> he's like, honestly, he's like, he's a great SEAL. He just fucking like, if I got to march up that you know Mount Everest, let's let's go. Like yeah. he's like, I sometimes think that guys that are. Uh, you know, too emotionally connected, uh, you know, have too much perception or sometimes this, like we're just fucking keep your blinders on and keep going. Mm-hmm. So I think like sometimes the people, and I saw this in the NFL, guys that were like too much, just it's but fucking it hot, put your plug, plug noise.
1: Yeah. It's probably if you're in, intentionally, like if you can intentionally enter that state and then go to that soldier on state, right? Because I think some people just can't shut it off. And like you said, Doc's a smart dude, so he's but maybe he just was in that he's like you know what fuck it i'm dying out here i'm either dying or i'm making it like right. in that and that became the sole focus right but then as he passes that state you can flip that back on and then
5: use that type of i wasn't uh, a super breath. cerebral guy back mm-hmm. then and my i'd say my eq is probably in the negatives so um, I I think it might. And how old are you? How old were you when you went through? I would, I went right out of high school. I I joined the navy at yeah, seventeen. So yeah, seventeen year old dude is you're high school dropout, and yeah. I was just like, and I was an angry motherfucker, and so it's like that, that was that was my emotion, like that that's the only emotion I knew was angry, and like I was either calm or I was angry, um, and so I just dealt with it everything with sort of. Like so now you're just sleepy. Magnum rage, mm-hmm. um, and like I think I would. I mean, I'd probably get my ass handed. T- I mean, one, I'm like, you know, I'm not nearly physically <laughs> strong enough to go through SEAL training, but it, it would probably, I think, have more impact on me now. Like people harassing me would probably bother me more now. So that no, again, that's kind of like the. I think you'd slip back jump. into.
3: I, I think you <laughs> would slip back into it because I think once you've cultivated that mindset, like I, I sometimes and and I, I saw this all the time with uh, you know over the course of life, like the people with options and well, I could have done this and. Fucking no, no plan B. Like you have right. option A, and if option A fucking blows up, like <clears throat> then we'll like like I have like I I'm always nervous where people are like oh these are all my options. I'm like. Just select one fucking thing and go as fast as you can in that direction. If it fails, you hit a block, then you make a turn. But stop giving me, you know... And, and Tara did this.
5: She threw her backpack over the wall to be a professional, dan- a professional dancer, which has, like, a very, very low success rate. And she's just like, no, I'm fucking going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally different type of anxiety of failure because it's not like... Well, I guess you had the injury, the physical... The
4: I had the it. injury that stopped it, but I, I had the mindset of... Uh, the mindset was the easy part at 17 to, to go do that. But I think at 17, you have a sense of, of being a little more fierce because life hasn't kicked you enough. So um, that part was easy. The physical injury was a whole different need to re-identify what I even wanted in life. But, yeah, the the that part was easy. Like, But I think sports for, for kids, competitive sports, is so important because it grows... Um, so much of your character, and, and you use that and you draw on that resource for the rest of your life.
5: Yeah, that's why I was really happy. I, I think it, it served me well to play football instead of, like, an individual sport mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the SEAL teams were very much like that, and, you know, SEAL training felt a lot like two-a-days in Texas. I mean, it, it's just... Katie, Texas, Doctor we clarify. Katie, Texas, mm-hmm. real football played. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I... Uh, I I definitely... You didn't go to Katie Taylor, did you? I did, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I definitely remember, I mean, very clearly, as best as I can actually remember anything, uh, <laughs> I remember the thought all the time, I was like, this is really isn't all that hard, you know? Like, it, people don't like to hear that, but it's, it's a hell of a lot more enduring, right? Because you're getting the shit beat out of you 24 hours a day for eight months instead of, you know, just like, the, whatever, the eight hours a day. But as far as just, like, one sheer miserable point... I was just as miserable and team, you know, I'm playing football in the 117 degree heat and and Texas, you know. So um, I think had I been a wrestler or tennis player or something that was very individual, I'm not sure I would. It would have been the same, you know, because it's like there is something to knowing how to draw from. Your yeah. buddies and simultaneously and pro- compete with and right, for, right? right. And, but yeah, but like I'm getting strength from maybe I'm not like I'm not handing my weakness over to you, but like I'm getting strength from your strength and like we can pass it around.
3: <laughs> Man, I got strength out of other people's misery.
5: I would look yeah, to see that's who cool was, too. That I, is really cool. It's like, ah, you're uh, gonna fail. Yes, yeah, no, <laughs> I,
3: I I would look around and see these guys that were just like having the worst day and they were hot and they were so upset, and I'm like. I feel so much better seeing how miserable you are. I'm feeding off your misery. I'm like, you're fucking... You need to be more awful to make (laughs) me feel better. Oh, I used to love coming in and seeing, like, the new guys, like, on week, like, four and five, just, like, somebody shit on them. They're just, like, faces are all upset. I'd come in. I'd be like, it's just what I needed. (laughs) I feed off of your misery. It's like a big, like a a big power pill. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh. So, I don't know. uh, But, yeah, man, I love... Well, I I think that's probably the... That's,
5: like, the... That's like the physical, or that's the competitive component we're talking about, right? It's like
3: mm-hmm.
5: when you're sparring with somebody or rolling with somebody and like, can you fill them crump? Like you just like, ah, oh, fucking got you, bitch. Like you can just feel it. Like, and you get so empowered no matter how tired you are. It's like, you just see it. Like you see it in their eyes or you feel it and they're t- like, ah, oh, I got you now, man. And no, nah, no, nah, I'm not tired all of a sudden. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Let's hit it.
4: I don't know what that crunk, crunk, crump. Crunch that crump. crump. Oh, crump them
5: like you just have not crump. They just crumple, they, like like they just crumple. Oh. Like you just, like you just see, like, that. you know, when you see people just like, oh, fuck, like mm-hmm. totally deflated, disheveled, you all can, the time. You can feel mm-hmm. that in a physical competition man. maybe five or six, yeah, yeah, seven yeah. times a day. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you have to want to win, though, and yeah. you have to love to win. And not everybody does. And I, I don't understand that, but you won't ever be successful and resilient and greedy in your life if you don't actually want to win. Because mm-hmm. what you have to want to win in the gym. You have to want to win at your sport. You also have to win at this fucking life. So if you don't want that, I can't give that to somebody that comes in and says, you know, let's let's talk about my pain or my life and make me feel like a strong person. It doesn't work that
5: way. The most... When we talk about this a lot, like the most frustrating thing as a healthcare professional, or like trying to help new people, and you guys would know this is from being coaches as well. It's like once once their goals are more important to you than they are to
3: them, it's fucking game over, man. That's just, how we knew it's time to get man. out of the gym business. I mean, yeah. that was why we sold the gym when I realized that I, I wanted it more for the people than they wanted it for themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, you know, hey, I'm quitting the gym. Well, dude, you made amazing progress. Why are you quitting? Ah, it's just not that important to me. I was mm-hmm. like, hmm. <laughs> I shouldn't be here anymore. This yeah. is fucking over for me. Like yeah. like the fact that we put this much work and dedication and you're on your way and then
2: you're like, eh, it's not that important to me. I'm like, fuck you. I'm out of this. That yeah. was the end of the gym business. I, I know we do speak of that, but I've had some relationships with athletes where they did want it. And one of my favorite is one on one athlete with Christy Atkins, because she had it in her mind that it, it was her last go at the CrossFit Games in every mm-hmm. challenge or speech or opportunity we had to work together, because she had a lot of different coaches within that, it was just this singular mindset on the best of her abilities against the, the best women in the, in the world. So it was a, a very telling experience to understand what it's like to walk the path with an athlete that understands and accepts every challenge that you put forth because you're both working towards that goal. You have high expectations of them but they also have high expectations of their own selves. It was an amazing mm-hmm. experience, and I hope every coach gets an opportunity to work with an athlete just like her. That's awesome.
1: So we, we've talked a lot on resiliency, and uh, something we talked about earlier, and you're like, oh yeah, that's a good way to put it, was bandwidth. Mm-hmm. So when you hear that term, how does that relate to, to either promoting resiliency or your ability to deal with trauma? Like, Where, where does that bring you in terms of this discussion?
4: And I I think it came up with parenting where parents don't have the bandwidth to really like sit and teach the lesson and do the parenting anymore. And so that's part of our culture and our busyness and that we're filling our lives with the shit that doesn't really matter and, and not having bandwidth for the stuff that really does matter, including our own kind of really connecting to our nervous system, really having control over. Um, where we push ourselves and where we pull ourselves back in and being able to manage that state. So that for me is kind of the basis of, of all resilience, um, is, and that's how you create bandwidth Mm -hmm. is to, to pull back, um, start monitoring and filtering your environment, start checking your internal dialogue. Don't believe everything you think. Don't act on things that you feel only trust your gut. If you're not in a fight or flight state, um, some basic like brain principles and then behave how you want to tell the story five years later. So in five years, if I'm going through something right now, um, a a lot of clients will come in and they'll say, well, I'm going through this tough time right now. So the trauma isn't historical that we're dealing with. There's something happening right now. Well, how do you want to tell the story in five years where you're going to be proud of how you behaved? Mm -hmm. So it is behavioral, but you're imagining, Being out of it, you're imagining an endpoint, and then when you imagine an endpoint, your nervous system does relax. Your physical body will settle, and then you can tell a story, and your brain will organize itself to create that story once you've decided how you want to tell it. So you can you can build a story of resilience while you're still going through something.
1: So I guess the the proverbial, you know, what's your five year plan? Like that's kind of like you know, coffee table talk or whatever. But Mm -hmm. if you find yourself Like, shit's mounting up, and it's starting to really get... Like, you're on the precipice of some some interesting change in life or whatever, it's time to start really pinning down. How do I want to remember this moment in five years? So like, mm-hmm. that's almost like a strategy. If you know what's coming,
4: especially as a parent, because mm-hmm. you always want to be that example for your kids. So anytime I was moving through something as a single parent, where it was challenging, what's the story I want to tell my kids and how do I want them to remember how I got through mm-hmm. this? It's not, it's never when we create that, that future forward casting it's never we're never weak we're never too vulnerable we're never unable to cope we always imagine ourselves out of it as you know make yourself the hero of that story and how is that going to look and your nervous system will if you especially if you get concrete about it we'll set the five-year goals and we'll talk about them but we don't take enough time and really imprint that into the into the mind which is what does that look like what does it feel like what will i feel like when i'm in that space Mm and the elements of the story, using the imagination to create it as a real experience will help the brain create new n- neural pathways and create that into existence. So
5: comparing that Manifesting to... Manifesting your, your destiny.
4: Mm-hmm. So comparing but that... that's less foo-foo.
5: To like, yeah. let's say,
1: putting on Woo-woo. blinders, you're getting in, you put on blinders and you just kind of grit. <clears> you, <throat> like, you commit to just forward progress. Is that, mm-hmm. That's kind of a different mindset than like, all right, this is going to pass. Five years from now, I'm going to be looking at this. So, so does that trigger two different types of neurological responses or nervous system responses?
4: Well, any time you tell your brain where you want it to go, it will create a new pathway for you. And so the brain becomes addicted to the state it lives in the most, which is why people, I work with a lot of women that have car accidents and I actually <laughs> shrunk my practice and fired some of them because too many women were addicted to being a victim hmm. and they couldn't move out of whatever the situation that the accident had put them in or what it had taken away from them because it's all they could focus on. And and they couldn't focus forward. They couldn't come out of it. They couldn't imagine a different existence because their brain was so addicted to being in a victimized state. So part of that, using your imagination, is to help pave a new pathway in the brain.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess dudes, like, there's got to be dudes who play that victim card. Totally. Well, right? So it's not, like, yep. gender-specific, but... Nope. Um,
5: that's there are gender differences, and we're allowed to say that.
1: Uh, no, we're all the same.
5: No, we're not. What do you mean? You don't have a penis. Except it's totally different. Right? <laughs> Perfect. <Yeah>. Great timing. <laughs> but I got ba- I got balls. Everybody else
4: so does. Like, that so
3: it's uh, <laughs> <So, laughs> so like, how do you know? Yeah.
4: There are differences when I work with men and women, yeah. though. And men, um, when they appreciate the science of behind the the process that we're working on, they actually typically, in my experience, have gotten better faster. Mm-hmm. They're they're less prone to being addicted. To a negative state, they want to get in and out of therapy as fast as possible and move on to the next. They thing. want
5: to focus on the process and not mm-hmm. the f- narrative, not the story, not mm-hmm. the feeling. Like, what's the process to get out of this shithole? I don't mm-hmm. want to be into.
4: <laughs> and and the and a lot of women want the the empathy and the, the compassion and the nurturing, which
5: and validation and validation yeah, if and you were a victim, poor you. The
4: coffee talk and it, it yeah. doesn't help people get better, so they typically don't stay with me very long because I don't. Have mm-hmm. a lot of empathy, compassion, so, and energy. <laughs> so, having
5: a having a psychologist in this room, I, a question that I want to know, and we kind of talk about it a little bit every day. Why is everyone on social media megalomaniacal pricks? I mean, what is it about? that venue? I mean, are, are these people who are building who they want to be in five years and acting like they are that now? Or, like, mm-hmm. what, what's the psychology behind everybody being so shitty yeah. to each other and but like being so grandiose? Let's be, like, everyone's well, not. Well, uh, I mean, as a, that's I'm not, a narrative you want to believe in. Eric, er, er, we every, don't see every, that. everyone's not the right way. Everyone's yeah. not the right But, it's you, you have to it's prevalent. It's much more prevalent than what you see in society. How many people agree approach you and yes. say shit to you that they would say on
3: social media? I would agree with that. Almost mm-hmm. never. Right? Well, people like to throw rocks at shiny things. I mean, it's like uh, like the more that I think somebody puts out there, um, you know, I think people cast stones, but they only cast stones anonymously. Mm-hmm. and then i think there's like the placators or like the uh the fucking cheering section where people put stuff up and you know people are like the congratulators but i think it's uh it's all false but
1: it's like you're you're the, you're hollow man
3: right like if you were the
1: invisible man hollow man was starring kevin bacon wasn't it that is correct <laughs> so like if you're invisible and you have no identity you're going to act in like mm-hmm. a more primal uh risqué way because you don't have there's less risk of you being found out, right,
5: yeah, but there are guys who do it non anonymously like are yeah, guys talking to you about you know was just ripping on Peter Atiyah for not having enough women on his podcast and mm-hmm. well that's that's <laughs> virtue signaling
3: I mean right, that's- well. I mean, I mean, that's like uh, there's this thing. I've, I mean, I've heard what you want. And like, I want to you know, know what she thinks. But I there's want... there's something on the Internet where people uh, like to try to cast stones at people by comparing themselves that they're like, uh, you know, morally better than those. Like, you know, well, I've had all these women on my podcast. Why isn't Peter a Tia? And it just comes into vir- virtue signaling mm-hmm. that there's like this way of, uh, you know by me showing the world how you're not as virtuous as me, I somehow elevate myself opposed from being like, Man, I really enjoy your podcast. It'd be great if you could get some more female voices on there. I'd be more interested to hear how this stuff balances out. To me, that's more constructive than some guy just fucking casting stones because he somehow but you has you know some... if he met Peter Attia, that's how he would say it. And that's like said so well, that's my question is like Yeah, even people, though he's not being honest. An if animist, he met we... Peter Attia, but I mean Peter also uh, you know, and rightly so is probably, you know, I mean uh, He's the captain of his own ship, and by far, you know, I mean, he—he's not only is he a sharp dude, but he knows he's a sharp guy, yeah. and I think sometimes that comes off as arrogance. But he has every right to be arrogant. He's a fucking sharp dude. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm never, uh, I'm never put off by intelligent people that know they're intelligent, and. <laughs> Just cut to the chase, mm-hmm. like, and that's kind of like I, you know, watched, uh, you know, Peter's TED talk, and he's just whenever I've heard him speak, he's very, very intelligent, and he knows what the fuck he's talking about. And I think like because he not only uh, does it physically, like he's pretty accomplished as an athlete, and like you know everything he's done, he's been very successful. I think people just don't like to see that level of success for people they don't know viewing on the internet. Now, if you know that person, you're like, oh shit, I, I'm happy to count this guy as a friend. I just think a lot of people feel like your success just Provides my shortcoming, so I'm going to fucking cast stones at it, Mm. which is like protective, I guess, of the id. And back to Tara. What does Tara think? (laughs) Well, (laughs) they. they, Yeah, they.
4: They say that um, our teens, especially, are more connected electronically than ever, but really more disconnected than ever. And we see a whole bunch of emotional dysregulation because of that and the inability to really know how to manage sitting in community sitting. So I think part of it is social media has come up and it's like, look, here's a community. Um, But it's not really a community. It's not a community where we learn how to resonate with one another or we learn to keep each other in check or there's an accountability or there's a sense of support. We don't really have that unless we go out of our way these days to create it in the groups that are social groups. Um, so people are reaching out as in the pseudo-unregulated kind of, nobody's, they don't have a friend to keep them accountable and say, dude, you're an asshole, don't, don't say that. Or don't say that to me because that's completely inappropriate and, and, and we don't have people in community like hitting each other or having, there's no consequence, right? So when there's no consequence, people will just go ego rogue.
3: Ego rogue. So what you're saying is, uh, we need to have a service where people on the internet just get punched. Life bouncer, yeah, yeah life bouncer, like lifebouncer.com. Uh, like like, the, the buy like uh, Jay and Silent <laughs> Bob. Remember when they were like, "Hey, I heard you're writing bad shit about me on the internet." Bam! What the <laughs> fuck is the internet? Yeah, and they go to people's houses. Are you, you know, internet troll two 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 four? You know, like, like the, Huber, Fal- the Falco punch. Are <laughs> you the the uh, uh, Premier pun. Penguin? <laughs>
1: I plead the fifth
5: <laughs> Fifth <laughs> Do you guys see the Falco Punch bit? No, the guy who was in Hot Rod and when he was on Saturday Night Live, it's like people would be standing on the side of the street and like go to take his take a uh, bite out of a sandwich or something and he'd just like fly into the screen and like Superman punch him to the <laughs> ground. Just normal people in the street and then he'd be like, He'd dance and they'd go Falco Punch and then you know, just people did so that that we need something like that on the internet or like, where you uh, can just like tate Terry Tate off the slime back. Yeah, Terry
1: Tate off the slime back. Or, t- you know, the, like we're talking, I don't know if that, that would be like, couldn't you just not fucking listen to the nonsense and be like, fuck this guy? It's the internet.
3: Well, I, I, moving I, forward. I think we're at a, I think the problem that we ran into is that for previous generations that weren't, that didn't grow up with the internet, there was this feeling of like, well, hey, if this person knew me, You know, like, the attack, and I think people realize it. And I think we're seeing in this, uh, as we get more into this thing, that it's like, fuck these people, I just want to live in my echo chamber. Because at the end of the day, like, very few people are ever going to give constructive things. Like, and I think, I hope that we do this, where, like, if somebody's fucking up, or we see it, like, within our crew, or, like, you know, within our network, where I'm like, ah, I don't know if this is putting you in the best light. I might retract this or go in this direction, which I think is, like at least as a parent and like you know within a group and friends you kind of like kind of tap people on the shoulder like oh you're walking a little crooked you need to move over or like hey maybe you shouldn't drink a case of beer so tonight.
5: but but you're talking about a real community at me or it's a real community cuz you guys have like a but that's following a, but but like there's I, a I, lot of noise out there that isn't real community like she's talking mm-hmm. about which is yeah, It's just random people yeah, yeah.
3: who yeah and and for the, whatever and the problem is is that those random people have no vested
2: interest in your success <laughs> and they're the loudest the pricks are the loudest so but hasn't this always existed in society? I mean, we talk about the. Well, uh, if you look at like. Uh, even the Revolutionary War, would you say five percent of uh, the colonies, yeah, Members of the colonies actually fought.
3: Yeah. So like you only really need like I think, what is it? It's five uh,
2: percent of the population
3: uh, to revolt, to overthrow a country. So like in this country, you know, we have, what, 330, 350 million people, let's say. So if like 5% of the country ended up being 17 million people decided to like have a revolution, I mean, there's what, like a million people in the army? Like, Well, you know. I mean, 3% of the population is our military, not even three, I think. Yeah. So you so <clears throat> just get it, that th- 3% and you can do whatever you want. Well, that but that, that's the thing. Like when right. they looked, uh, there was this idea that like all of, you know, the colonial states and all the people that lived in this country, you know, wanted a free... A bunch of them were like, no, we don't want to do this. And it was, you know, 3 to 5% of the country was the one that actually, you know, had this revolution going and decided to fight for this thing. So I think you only really need a small percentage of the population to be somewhat mobile and intelligent, whereas I think a lot of people will just fucking happy to watch the war go by. I don't want to involve myself. I don't care either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Where did I want to go? Well, this is... I'm like... Total wormhole, but I'll hit you up when we're not on the podcast just about Well oh, fuck it. Yeah, Let's that's go. um so when we had Spanton on, we were talking about the kind of that, like the so what would a modern day doom were we talking about this intern? What would a modern day doomsday scenario look like where three percent of the population does decide Like where do they rally? How does that look like? How does the army defend or like the Department of Defense defend that? Well, there's a do people within the Department of Defense like side side with the people, right? And and then who controls it? Like how right now, in order to mobilize a large group of um, individuals, individuals, we need like cell phones and the internet. So what if the government's just like internet off? Cell
3: phones off. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, um, the uh, we were just watching Michael or um, uh, Snowden had uh, mm-hmm. was is on Joe Rogan.
1: So Tara, sorry for this really hard. Pivot. Right. So getting, yeah. no, so uh,
3: um, <laughs> like uh, pivot. Edward Snowden's on Joe Rogan, and uh, super interesting character in that like he felt this like moral obligation right. that hey is you this know recent yeah oh my yeah just yeah no so I was mm-hmm. listening to it this morning when they came in. Uh, but the idea was that, you know, here's this guy that was a NSA, uh, CIA contractor who came in and had, uh, you know, exposed to this information that like, you know, the U S government who technically is in our employment, we employ these, right. you know, fucking bureaucrats and these individuals, uh, to lead our country. And we put faith in them, uh, came in and, you know, created this secret alliance to spy on every electronic transmission. That takes place in this country. So, all cell phones, everything goes through a central processing deal in Utah. And it's like uh, through Google and their deal with relationship. Like, everything that you have ever put into a search engine, into a search bar on Google, has a, re- a record and they can pull this stuff. And the problem is, is like, how do you not use that nefariously? Like, um, you know, uh, Obama weaponizing the. Um, um, uh, the IRS to do, you know, audits on groups that were different than him. I mean, all of these things, like, <laughs> it's it, 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 like the irony of this shit, and so... Uh, like he saw that and was like hey you know what this is bullshit Um, I'm an American citizen the American people should know what their government is doing because they are you know it's for the people by the people we're not in fucking slavery (laughs) like Trump didn't buy the United States did you hear uh, uh, um, what's his name Uh, Trevor Noah's deal that the reason that uh, it's so confusing what's going on with Trump is because Trump thinks he bought the United States (laughs) and he's running it like like one of his companies like who are you to give me oversight I purchased this thing and he's like the only way we're going to get this back is we need to start a Kickstarter to raise money to buy the United States back from Trump. Mm-hmm. I was in fucking tears. Like, I, it was so funny, and he brought this guy in, he's like, the reason that we can't analyze it is we've never had a president think that he bought the United States, and Trump bought it. Look I, how he's run all of his other companies. And, it, and like, actually, as he went through it, I was like, fuck, man, maybe that's that's how he views it. I, I think the
5: revolution, though, that, that you're talking about, I, I think the way this goes south, um, and this is in part, uh, part and parcel some things I've heard Ben Shapiro talk about, Uh, But I think it's really going to be started. Like, the fight's going to be picked by the government on the people, not the other way around, right? Because who would we rage against? Like, we're going to go grab our weapons and go
3: to D.C. and shoot people. That was Beto O'Rourke talking about... uh, uh, You're going to seize your guns. We're going to give your guns, or we're going to go door-to-door and take your guns. Right, we're going to go
5: door-to-door to to take your guns, and we are going to dictate that uh, your schools don't teach anything about religion, and you're not allowed to... You know have your kids be religious anymore and you're not allowed to teach this to your kids because we as a society know better than you what you should be how you should be parenting Mm -hmm. and then people are gonna be like yeah fuck you and they're gonna well we're gonna come and take your kids we'll come take my kids and you know and then i'm gonna go help my neighbor and you guys are gonna go help each other and then you know the military boys here like oh just you know my dad's under like you know five of his friends are gonna go like that's how i see it i mean and I think it's very, very far fetched that that would ever happen. Agreed. But, totally. but, that, but well, that's the way see, I would uh, see it happen. Um, like I you just s- you start telling me what to do, coming with the basically at the point of the gun, you're going to tell me what to do. Well, now we're going to have a gunfight. Well, we because, did that with like, uh, Janet think, Reno. You
3: remember with uh, David with uh, the crush thing here in Waco. You remember they went in and he had right, some right, uh, right. some government, um, uh, you know fucking whistleblower guy that uh, basically alerted to them that, you know, he was a really shitty gunsmith and his fucking gun was like 15.34 inches. He cut his barrel too short on some shotgun and they went in to like, ATF went in to seize the gun and then it fucking, you know, they basically kicked in the door and that whole thing goes, and then what do they do? They set the dude's place on fire and fucking burn these people to the ground. Right, like,
5: like that. Anybody who thinks that your government is not capable of that, but here's what's crazy. Here's what's naive. crazy.
3: That's an American citizen. That's a fucking taxpayer. Right. Who the tax money that we went into is funding the people to take the war against the American people. Right. To me, that feels. Fucking wrong, right? And, and reno was like, "Well, well." And that's kind of how
5: we had our first separation from government, right? Like, it's kind of what the revolution was like. You can't fucking tell us what to do. Oh, yes, we can. Oh, no, you can't. right, come tell us what to do. Let's fight about it. I didn't. That that's how it happens. Like, I don't. Like, what what would be the utility of us just so "All right, everybody, get your cell phones out and let's organize 17 million people in the middle of Texas and we're gonna go do what?" Mm-hmm. Right like you have to get the it has to be picked by the government mm-hmm. and i think if i mean the the only true possibility of that happening i think would be under socialism man i mean mm-hmm. cuz now all of a sudden you're going to take 97% of everything that i make or whatever it's 90% I'm like fuck you are not even Well,
3: either. shit they already tax everything so i mean like you got to buy like i i love it we pay taxes and then what i got to pay Tax on the gas that I buy every time that money changes hands. Like I pay you with money that I already pay taxes on. Now you got to pay taxes on it. Yeah. Uh, we don't really own the property because if I don't pay my property taxes, you take my property. Right. I, I gotta pay. Um. Uh. I gotta buy a license to drive my car on the road, and I gotta pay for my tags on roads that I already paid with infrastructure from my taxes, and then I go buy food that's taxed, and right. then the, when I give them money, then they get taxed. I mean, like it's like, like. Uh, fucking insane to me you get you taxed on
5: the car you buy when you sell it the guy you sell it to gets taxed and you get taxed on buy, uh, him yeah, buying it yeah he gives you money from like, you it's yeah. it, it's like <laughs> and then
3: he pays tax for the car and, <laughs> and, and we're in, like little, okay yeah you know or or the uh you know california runs that real interesting you know misinformation deal with the, the gas tax right. where it's like if you want it you got to vote no, if you don't want it, you got to vote yes, and if you don't want it, you, or you want it, you got to vote no. So it ends up passing. And what they didn't realize is, in that gas tax, uh, the state legislature has the right to raise the price of gasoline uh, when whenever they see fit, without oversight. Right. And so, and then what happens? Oh, it's to fix the infrastructure, and then they decide, no, nah, fuck that, we're going to use it for this. So like now, now gas is over five dollars a gallon in California, and they're yeah. using the money to build some light rail to Vegas for the fucking Raiders.
5: Right. Well. And so maybe that's where it starts, right? People just start stealing gas. And <laughs> you know. But I guess and then, I'm,
1: more, I'm more intrigued on not necessarily root cause, but tactically, like what is the operational command look like if there is this 3% of, you know, the standing civilian army? How are they going to mobilize? Like are we smart enough?
5: To I, I, think as, it's, I think it's schoolyard rules, man. It's like you know you, you're standing up for your buddy, and mm. like and that. And the, do we really the, have the community? The, the to that? That's what I'm kind of giving. The at population is. keep growing. Well, I mean, I, it yeah. depends on what you're being shut down on. Yeah. Like if I'm saying basically, I'm going to control your life, and you don't actually fucking matter. You're just a source of money for me. At some point, you're going to well. Fuck it. I don't care that much about my life then either. So do you well, think try to fight. Well, my what way about out the American people
3: just showing? Like, what if uh, 14 um, uh, million Americans show up in yeah. Washington D.C. and be like? Drag them out in the streets, we got a guillotine. And when we go fucking uh, like French Revolution style, where they dragged... Uh, royalty and the politicians the people—they drug, drug them, in the street and they cut their heads off. Yeah, so but like, now you'd have the military strafing people of that came, I mean, well, jets yeah, it's coming by. Well, <laughs> of course, but but then you got to remember, like the uh, you know, so then what they mobilize the military, who are American citizens, who are fighting against American citizens, who are just in a situation where like our our elected leaders are effectively fleecing us and not doing the job that we've done. So right. now, based on our Constitution and our Second Amendment, right? Well, that's why I think there won't be an attack by
5: the people. I think it'll be a defense. So the think of, government like, has to go rogue and the and the people so will who will march the like like the, well, like, like the Posse comitatus, of. but are you going to have like the well, National like, Guard think, mobilizing? I think, I think the door to door. Yeah, because it's going to go from police officers in Texas like how many how many guns are you going to confiscate with the police force or the sheriffs? like five all right we need the national guard's help and all right now and now you now there's dissension amongst the ranks of the people who are being well i don't know i don't want to go take this guy's gun i think that's bullshit anyway so like i'm not going to try that hard and then may like that's that's the only way i see it actually coming out it's like you know the same thing that happened in nazi germany right it's like you're you're going around you're selling your doctrine door by door and like if you don't agree with me Something like it's the tip of a gun. You're going to do something that I, I'm telling you, you're going to do, whether or not you agree with me. Um, That's the only way I see it. Mm -hmm. Like no, no other way. No other way. Like we're we're never just going to say, hey, we're tired of this government. Like we have processes. Like we'll impeach people and we'll you know Mm -hmm. whatever vote people out of office and
1: yeah. So for our listeners, we're just talking like theoretical kind of red dawn too. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Like what could that look like? Highly theoretical. But I'd like I also think of those dude, those ranchers who
3: wouldn't give up their land. Yeah. Uh, like, and how many dudes was that? It Was like ten dudes? No, it was it was more than that. So what happened was the the guy had forever. I think it was like uh, for like you know forty years had grazed his cattle on public land, and then they came in and said to him, Hey, you can't graze, and we, and you owe us all this money for all this grazing. And the guy's like, Well, that's not the deal I made with like the BLM. And I uh, went through that whole deal, and I know they came out, and they fucking armed up and, and actually got them to back down. But the government's smart. You know what they did? We're just going to go away. And you know what? They went away, and then the next day, you know what they did? They drove and fucking picked those guys up on the street when nobody was around. Mm-hmm. And they put them in jail. I mean, they went through a pretty arduous fight uh, for that. But like, you know, I mean, if it, I, I just read an article about the, um, uh, like the vindictive bureaucratic fucking nightmare that is the EPA and like how like uh, they'll go into a guy like um you know a guy gets a, a a permit to build a a pond on his property and so he goes through he spends all this money to build this pond and they came in and told him that like the cement that he used to dig the pond was affecting this, this, and this. And they find him like, you know, fucking $10 million and like, you know, destroyed this and took everything. I mean, it's just like, and they went through it and they're like these, uh, unelected bureaucrats. It came down to one person making a decision and you know, like, this fucking individual who has some weird moral right and decide to be a fucking prick, goes through and ruins somebody's entire existence. Why? Because they make a fucking meager $35,000 a year, but I have this ounce of power that I'm gonna lord over you. And that's the problem where you run into these fucking faceless bureaucratic organizations. And so, you know, uh, Trump really sucked away a bunch of money and defunded the EPA, and you know all they did? They just fucking went after, like, now they're going after all, like, the diesel companies, huge fucking fines to try to fund themselves in other ways. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, and I think the, whether or not Trump actually does this, uh, I'm always, and the reason I like Dan Crenshaw is, like, we need less government. Right. All these fucking groups and all, you know, and, and this is my biggest departure from whether it be poli- uh, politically right or left, is, like, where's the group for less government? Like, that's why I, you know, was a... a well, that's what libertarian really well, means. Well, that's guys. what like, the libertarian party, we, you know, yeah. we were looking at it, I was like, man, how do you get less government bureaucracy? Because anytime the government gets involved in anything, it's a fucking nightmare. Look at car seats. Look at the uh, post office. Dude, look at look the post at GMB. Office. Look at um, <laughs> uh, Look at gas cans. Like, you know when you go have a gas can? And like, you know, like, uh, There's 17 the fu- safety they're, they're checks on They're the worst. It. Like, they're, like, you end up having to cut the fucking thing off just to get it to fill because it spills everywhere. I'm like, uh, what is this bureaucracy? Fuck this thing. Yeah, and there you have it, Tara. So, Tara, with all that said, (laughs) in
1: this post-apocalyptic Red Dawn 2, where there's this civilian militia, uh, there's certainly bound to be trauma, right? (laughs) Good tie-in, good tie-in. And, like, as we've, generation after generation after generation, have um, lost this level of resiliency, going back to a point John made, like, do you think the population's even equipped to, like, bind, like, come together? Or do you think that we just don't have the tools to to be as like to form an advanced social network like that that can pull off a civilian militia? I know that we're way
3: <laughs> so at, like, we're way off, like, way outside your degree. Like we I just see, want to know, like two if I see one if I land. I mean, like you know, like do we have a Paul Revere on us that are going to ride?
4: I believe in adaptation. I think that I believe in survival of the fittest. I think that there will always be people that will yeah. Right? And and mentally that have the ability to to perform and, and do whatever it is that you just said that people <laughs> <laughs> could do. <laughs> Um, what's interesting, though, is that, I mean, we just ha- up in Canada had an election and uh, politics are very activating. And you can see how in some people um, that have a lot in their container, pol- it becomes an overwhelming conversation where they get quite anxious. Yeah. Whereas um, when John talks about it, he's a pretty regulated dude, seems to be. Uh-huh. Um, it comes out more as passion. So sure. yeah, so, yeah. It, so it's how we frame things, too, but also how it, how we tolerate things. And some people this conversation is super activating and other people you get the same body you language my mother-in-law
3: because my mother-in-law tries to engage me in these political conversations, and she's very emotionally charged. Yes. And I try to tell her, I'm like, you have to realize that the information that we're being fed, regardless of what your political alignment is, is not the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I like went back, and I was like, what is it, uh, Operation Mockingbird? But where you're like, being logical with emotion. Where in no the, in the 60s, success. the CIA right. went through, and they were like, you know, misinformation and propaganda can be used, and there was a whole deal. And then there was... Um, uh, I think it was like in 2012, and there's argument based on how you read it. But like, you know, how can the media lie? How can this dude? Mm-hmm. They have built that protection in as a way mm-hmm. to build propaganda. Yeah. That like there is a a, a definite um, lens in which the information we are given is fucking put out to us. Yeah, and it's like, uh, so how? it's not it's not a legal obligation. No, but 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 I think there's <laughs> like a, a feeling here in the United States that like we are somehow legally. Uh, legally granted the right to have the information be accurate. Mm. But yeah, Yeah, it's private. Like, uh, uh, there's no... like All the uh, news outlets are privately owned. So you got Ted Turner and all these guys and they all have their own social left uh, leading agenda. Like you have Mark Zuckerberg and where he sits. So you don't think that he's going to put people in place that have similar social agendas that he has. And you don't think that his entire business will be uh, tinted into that direction. Look at uh, the CEO for Twitter, Jack. Um, I can't remember his last name. Uh, same deal. I mean, he was on. He was on Rogan. Like all these guys have been there, and they are very. Uh, forthright in what they believe, their social agenda and their political stance, and what they are, and this permeates through these different companies, and these become our media mm-hmm. outlets, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, and whatnot. Uh, you know, and it, they're morally it, superior, so logic doesn't matter. Well, uh, <laughs> that's because. Um, Senses, or what is it? Common sense is anything but common. But what I have is that sometimes people, and she made a great point about not having empathy, but like empathy is your ability to listen to another person and put yourself into their position to see their side. And like the first thing they teach you, I was a, you know, rhetoric major and like big thing within argument is the minute that you can create. Uh, like now, you don't have to believe the person, and you don't have to fucking feel for them. But the minute that you can put yourself into somebody else's situation to understand their argument, you how ha- you understand how best to counter their argument. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, whenever I listen to this stuff, I always put it in. I'm like, okay, how does this how does this affect me? If I was that person, how like like I, I want to know all this the. Uh, um, Pieces that have led you up to this position, and try to understand your stance. And the problem I run into is like I can't fucking understand their attempt. And that's like,
5: because you're you're a straight white male, and you have white privilege like and toxic I, masculinity. I cannot
3: understand the vegan agenda. Like to me, it's it's uh, it, always with the vegans. Uh, no, no, but but like we'll, <laughs> I'm <with> we'll, you. <laughs> we'll use that one, right? Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. we've had. Uh, um, really sharp people on this podcast, which is is really either telling that they don't have much to do or we've had some weird pull to get really sharp people in, (laughs) present company uh, included. But uh, we had, uh, like, Tara Swart on, you know, who's, um, you know, super sharp. um, um, What is she? Like a neuro... uh, Like... uh, Basically, like the a formal title. She's a
4: neuroscientist yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Neuroscientist. She, she's a
3: neuroscientist yeah. and she MIT. went on and, and she was like you know the single most important uh, element for our evolution was was actually fire and like the, the fire and the cooking of the meat and kind of went through this whole thing and she's mm-hmm. like you know the uh, we didn't evolve uh, to eat meat we evolved because we ate meat and how it all kind of began. And then I asked her, I'm like, uh, you know, she's of Indian descent. I'm like vegetarian. She's like, oh, my, oh, God, no. You know, like, it's just like the smartest people yep. on the planet who understand this stuff usually fit within this camp. And then you hear this like fantasy people where it's like, oh, meat's going to destroy the environment. And you're like, which is an emotional argument, right? It's not a it's not a logical argument. Yeah. You'd,
5: and I, I think that's kind of Friends, the difference between me. left and right. I mean, really, it's like, it, this, is all, this is all emotional. It's all about how I feel. And it's like, no, it's all about what I, actually works. I and, disagree,
3: man. I think that the uh, right is as emotionally charged as the left. I think the problem, though, is it's the perception of where you view the best times ahead. So the people that are most far right wing are looking and harking back to the days. I remember what it was like in the 70s, and the 70s weren't like this. I remember back in the day when it was in the 50s. and the, like So they, they're trying to remember this kind of simpler time when things were better, when things matter, which is just a, a, a fucking inaccurate memory, because you know what? Like the '60s mm-hmm. were by far one of the most divisive times in this country. Uh, like, it's, it's nostalgic. It's nostalgic. Right. But right. whereas the left, it has this idea that if we do these things, it'll be better in the future. The problem is, is that you have no way of deciding this, and your views, version of better is my version of fucking hell. <laughs> so when I listen to a lot of this shit, I'm like, fuck. Like if every time I went to uh, eat, I had an ultimate burger, or what is it, the, the impossible. I- impossible Possible disgusting burger, like that's my own personal fucking hell. Like, oh, we only serve impossible burgers. I'd be like, oh fuck, can't eat anymore. Like, right. I, uh, like maybe that's how the apocalypse starts. They outlaw, like I go to outlaw meat. If they go to In and Out Burger and they're like, oh, it's all impossible burgers. We don't have real meat anymore. I'm fucking burning that place to the ground. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll like, But, I'll like but I, think, I think the problem we run into is that the, when you start looking at people that sit out on the outer spectrums, whether they can, you know, far left, far right, I think it's just a perception of like it was better in the past, it'll be better in the future based off of my perception of which and then the people in the middle would be like these guys are fucking crazy over here, and these guys are fucking whack jobs. Right. Like, uh, are you telling me that, like, you know, because uh, simpler times, easier, that we're not living in the best time in our, in our life? And then you tell these people, and being like, we're living in the best time within existence to live, and you fucking assholes want to burn everything down because some utopian idea you have in the future that is convoluted and totally fucked up. Yeah, I mean that, but to me, that,
5: I feel like that's what the left is: is that they live in this utopian view society. Of like, if we, if, if all these fucking evil people who make money didn't exist and we just distributed all their shit, then we'd all fucking sing "Kumbaya." It's
3: not a plan, man. Yeah, it's just but, like emotion. It's about but you have to remember a equality. lot of those people uh, that sit, like you know, that have all that money are the ones that sit on the left. Well,
5: that's because they're in all socialist society who like the rich become infinitely richer and they know it's all going to go really well for them. You know, I, that that's my spin on.
3: it. I think it's it's purely based on uh, like and I think the problem that we run into in politics today is that the middle of the road, non crazy person. Who actually has a plan that doesn't look like uh, fucking stealing and, and you know burning the Second Amendment? Like where it's like the normal fucking person. The problem is, is that we live in the social media age where you either got like Trump over here, who I don't know what he's got going with his hair and this tan and this other weird shit, and he's got like all this craziness where he's you know like hey like uh, you know trying to dismantle like I think uh, uh, you know basically declaring that everything's fake news and this kind of piece, and then you have these other people over here. Like I watch the Democratic debates and I'm like. I wouldn't vote for any of these people. I wouldn't even want them to live on my street. They seem like fucking crazy people. Well, I I I would say the the biggest thing that we
5: have in politics now is it's very similar to what we had in the '60s. Like there's always been political bickering. There always will be. There'll always be a limited number of parties. But I think historically, like when time when when shit's working well, it's just hey, we all have the same goal. We have a different idea of how to get to that goal. Right now, the left and right have completely different goals. Right. That uh, it's it's just it's a completely different agenda. You have these people over here saying we should have no borders and everything should be free. And these other people are like no no no. We need to fucking take care of ourselves. Be responsible. Do our finances. You know, close our borders. Blah blah blah. And. They just have completely different goals. There's no there's, there's no way no middle to, ground. There's no middle ground to negotiate. No. And I mean, all the Americans are like in the middle going, we really don't fucking care about this. It's like, I got to go. I get shit to do right now. I got to raise my kids. I got to go to work. And like, I just don't want to give you 95% of my money. And like, pretty much that's where that's. Otherwise, I don't really care. Like you guys just go fuck around
3: and do whatever you do. I think that's the average American. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But the problem is, when you do that, then they fucking haphazardly elect people that go into uh, you know uh, go to Washington D.C. and well, they push and they their own social media bill- inter- and,
5: and billion multi-billion dollar organizations like Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff can just create all the fucking noise they want to. That's just going to keep occupying more and more of your brain space where you don't know what's going on and you never will know. What's so going they had on a pretty
3: now. interesting deal where they talked about. It's um, their goal uh, is to it distract was, you. It was Facebook and also in Google uh, had this concerted effort to like. Uh, um, basically, like partition and to direct people that were searching for political information, like hey, if they were trying to search on like the Republican Party or this and this, like it would skew results to push like the Democratic and like they were right. like going through and like showing the 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 uh, the systematic agenda that was implemented through those uh, through Facebook and these other social medias to push Hillary Clinton's ideas over somebody else's, right. and uh, uh, like to me so no when so you the have, only way to make educated educated
5: people stupid is to mis- so, is misinformation yes well, and then everybody well stupid i again.
3: i told you guys that if uh and then I, I i was telling rob this i'm like if you want to control the information be the one who facts checks all information like snoops and those uh you know politico and all these other group uh play you know websites you can go through and is this legit to me, like if I wanted to like uh, completely augment reality and change and push an agenda, I would, I would be go. the site that <laughs> fact-checked all your information. Right. Right. So like spend
1: you know 15 years being totally authentic for the, when it matters most.
3: Dude, I you know, I got into, in? I got an argument with a guy on uh, online about this, and he was like, you know, these sites are, and I'm like, who owns these sites? And then I sent him the thing on uh, Operation Mockingbird, where like the CIA came in and was basically creating this propaganda. I'm like. Who's to say that this isn't some long-term plan that they put into the internet? Somebody sharp was like, hey, uh, if we control the site that's uh, that's able to fact check all the information, and when you read Snoops, they go through and they're like, hey, based off of our research, this is what we believe. Who's that guy? Who's that individual? Who's the guy at the top that faces individual? It's like, I don't like that. Skew this a little bit. And that's how you change information, mm-hmm. right? People can make claims, but when I become the one, like when I become the newspaper that's validating those claims, then I become really the one who, who, who authenticates everything? See so what you started. Good story you catch- started.
1: Uh, we, would need, we need yeah. to kill an hour and 20 minutes. So, <laughs> <Okay>. uh, no, <laughs> no
3: I, I, I think we're in a part where um, I think there was a feeling for a long time that like the more access we had to information, the smarter people would become. And, and I think yeah, we haven't uh, seen that we've seen the opposite that the, the problem becomes is that nobody has the ability to absorb all this information and disseminate what is accurate and what's not because they're, everything they're, is so emotionally charged and they're using parents, parasympathetic nervous system and fight and flight and all these emotional triggers and words and all this where people can't sit back and be like well and they this use this is all bullshit they
5: use yeah. statistical analyses that are above anybody's heads and you know figures lie and liars figure and like w- we can spin it any way we want and that's okay. why you have vegans like PhDs in nutrition saying oh you should be a vegan and PhDs saying oh you should be a carnivore and like everything in between because there's too much fucking information and nobody knows anything well, anymore well look because we just been saturated. Well, look at
3: climate change. Hang on, hang on. Look at climate change. Like, cl- climate change is, is, an, is a crazy deal. You have all of these scientists that are like, oh, yeah, the climate is changing. It's man-made this. And then you had 500 scientists that were all renowned. People came through and they're like no it's all it's bad not, science right? It's uh, if you look at like the history and the core samples and all this this is the cycle that the earth goes through and is there climate changing yes but it's within the, the model at which our, our climate is always changing based on rotation distance from the earth you know this we're in between yeah. ice ages and so like is it being sped up by man made we don't really know but uh, you know people could say yes but the climate has always changed and manipulated and changed so like and then you have the you know uh, the Greta um, chick from Sweden you know how how dare you getting up and you know you speak to me of your empty promises and all this, but yet uh, okay, so you An put emotional argument, emotional argument, and, a, and then a people argument. like and then you, he, yeah,
5: and now you can't argue with it. So that hang on, Europe, let me
1: let me try and wind this back in because number yeah. one, we're already two hours in, and I can see this is going to go another two hours, and I yeah. know you have a podcast. We're done, yeah. Doing yeah. all right. Yeah. But Tara, so <laughs> so this is a great example, like you said, the political nature in these hot button topics are very emotionally charged, right? And I would imagine that trauma has a physiological response. Mm -hmm. So going back to something John, you said a lot earlier, like it is very real for certain people that some of these topics create legitimate trauma, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: right? And so then how, let's say you're a guy like John or, or Doc Parsley that has like a, a high capacity and can, can talk about this stuff passionately. How do you then... How can we use what we know about trauma to have effective and constructive conversations with mother-in-laws who don't have that capacity mm-hmm. for one reason or another? Is there anything, like any tools we, you could impart on us?
4: Well, I think I believe in personal responsibility, so it's not my job to make sure that you can handle the content that I'm delivering in the way that fair, I'm delivering, right? But as as a human, it is my job to manage my environment and my own state and and know how to change my state when I need to to handle whatever audience I'm with. So if it's family members, or if you have somebody that's toxic or abusive, it's just boundaries, right? That's cliche, but it's relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, With anything else, in any given moment, if I'm connecting with my physical body, I know if I'm feeling activated, and if I'm healthy, I know what's my activation and what's yours. So if you're getting charged up about politics, I can sit back and go, I can feel my butt in the chair, I'm fine, this is not mine. Because we yeah. template off each other, we're all we're all contagious. So, um, some I, more than especially
5: others. the intern. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> uh, so I'm always <laughs>
4: I'm always checking what's in my own state. I'm responsible for my own state, and then I'm careful with the the influences that I have. Whether it's social media, whether it's you know people that are inflamed all the time, whether it's people that are completely um, dysregulated, and I'm cautious with how I can control and filter and audit my. Circle in my environment to manage that. Because if I, what I want is my resilience to be used when I really need it the most. And I don't Mm -hmm. want to waste it on all this noise and clutter and all and unnecessary activation from anybody else.
1: Right. And yeah, because like families get torn apart and friendships end for life on just like. (laughs) <laughs> Saying the wrong thing about, for example, climate change or right.
5: the, the I, wall, uh, or
3: I just like, I hear uh, I hear sometimes your date will get up and leave if you uh, don't hate the same person they do. I remember Rob Wolf uh, was pretty funny. He said, um, like I remember on his, uh, you know, Rob's pretty funny on social media, but he posted something about like I think we need to bring together intelligent people and as a group have a serious discussion about climate change. <laughs> like there's too much, like like the. It's
1: too polarizing uh, on it's, either It's still
3: polarizing. It's yeah. either like the world's ending tomorrow, or we're going to be around for another billion years. Like there's yeah, no... Yeah, work, work our way out to the fringe yeah. instead of start at the fringe and work in. Yeah, like um, let's, let's have a, uh, an accurate like conversation with people that don't have a vested interest in either one. And this gal lady and this, <laughs> this girl got on there and it's like, you know, basically um, uh, anybody who denies Holocaust, I put in the same campus, or sorry, uh, climate change, I put in the uh, mm-hmm. same campus Holocaust deniers. And like, all of a sudden Rob was like, how did we go from wanting to have a intelligent conversation about climate change to me being a Holocaust denier? Like that's, that's the fucking mm-hmm, level that, of like, but what's interesting though, from zero from
1: to from f- what I, at least from what I understand is like from the con- and correct me if I'm wrong and not that you need to even act on this information when engaged with that individual is the trauma is real to them. Like their, their nervous system is responding as mm-hmm. if yeah. that is real. Yeah, To them. And you're in trying to kill world.
5: them by eating meat. Right? You're like, going to kill their children.
1: So there's no fucking, there's no winning. Unless that person mm-hmm. well, takes, because, heeds the advice of a podcast like this, which they'll never make it through. But, <laughs> but, and like work on themselves, right? And right. get back to a baseline. And then they'll be able to step away and go, huh, maybe, maybe believing like a non-crazy, maybe not believing in climate change, isn't the same as denying the Holocaust, like you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're, I'm with you. That is so disparate. I,
3: I, I have read uh, an, like uh, an absurd amount on this climate change thing, and like every time I read it, I'm like, I just like like uh, like I've read compelling arguments on both sides of it, and you're like, I don't like I mm-hmm. like is a climate changing? Yeah, I think it is changing. Now, is it being man induced? Maybe to what degree I don't know. Like, uh, it, like, and can there be? Is there anything we can do about it? Yeah, but what, but, 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 but so you read all of this in, uh, in, information, and as an intelligent individual, I have to read it all, take it all in, and then take a you know make a a stand. And I'm like, but it's not necessarily intelligence as much as it's like
1: traumatized. You know what I mean? If your cup is full, then you can't read the other side without getting quote unquote triggered. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily like intel. It's your, it's your like. What the fuck's happened in these people's lives that this is their proverbial cup is filled up so much yeah. that when they read a tweet, it totally twitches them out? Uh, it, and But like something uh, is the uh, answer. And
4: then they overuse triggers. Well, I'm avoiding my triggers. Well, mm-hmm. that's not how you meant. You don't get better by avoiding triggers. You mm-hmm. you know, there is a certain amount of exposure that you. Did you say triggers that
3: Because no, maybe that's, that's, that's one of <laughs> triggers. So triggers. he needs to avoid chickers. I would
4: avoid chickers
3: and bed bugs. Mm-hmm. But uh, like. Is would, it the fact that people are so, uh, uh, I always imagined, and this is, this is so funny, I imagined it in the internet that people would become like super uh, desensitized. That, like, we almost like when we were kids and like we watched all these like faces of death, yeah, faces of death, that? horror movies, oh. like Rambo kills all these people. Like, faces I, I would sit there and laugh, creepy, and like right? I was just so desensitized because you're like, yeah. Rambo just killed 400 people with a machine gun and they're like exploding, and you're like, never this, reloaded, right? Yeah, yeah. never reloaded. <laughs> yeah, so I imagine that the internet would do the exact same thing, which was this idea of like desensitized, but what it what we found was that people became hypersensitive. Where just merely, you know, the age-old "Hey, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me." Except today on the internet, mm-hmm. where words are weapons, in that your view and like, but it's not constantly w- us expressing our views now because, uh, and I, we, I've got this all, you know, people get upset, and I'm like, this is what I believe. Why are you trying to regulate what I fucking believe? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to curtail my thoughts and my beliefs because you have some emotional trauma associated mm-hmm. with it? That's fucking controlling to me. Yep. That's manipulation.
1: Totally. But it's not the content, right, Tara? It's the it's a combination of that content with the lack of connection and mm-hmm. like social support, right? Or could it be or handoff?
4: Ask that a different way.
1: So Rambo didn't offend John because he had a group of friends he was watching Rambo with, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, whereas now the proverbial loner with no real intimate physical connection. Mm-hmm. Sees a Rambo event on the internet, mm-hmm. and now they ha- they're not equipped to handle that. Like it doesn't necessarily yeah. desensitize them; right. it triggers. It's a trigger, uh, or right? Yeah.
4: Right. So I think maybe we still need more generations before we'll get the desensitization of that. I think uh, I think the good points here are that we live in the safest time in history. And yet North America has growing, escalating anxiety, depression rates. In spite of that, we're wasting all of our fight or flight survival energy, forgetting that we're animals you know, in constant scanning mode, uh, with our only job is to survive and we're wasting it on influences from Mm -hmm. social media stories, our own trauma, other people's trauma. We sit and we talk about everything that is disturbing and we just increase that activation. We live in this, um, hovering state, uh, that is not healthy. And then we lose the ability to differentiate what's a threat versus what's just a difference of opinion or something new and we lose that ability to check ourselves anymore.
1: So do you think if we as a country agreed lift more weights, get more sleep, eat more meat, hug each other a little bit,
5: that would solve the problem? Be responsible for your own shit.
1: That's rule number one in traveling yeah. in the summer household. Hmm. I think, too,
4: if you have a mindset of um, things are temporary, you can heal from them, you decide that you want to be a winner, that you want to win, that that's important to you. You have that mindset about it with all of those things, watching the inflammation in your body, which connects with the inflammation in your brain. Um, and not just absorbing. We're so passive and also really self-indulgent. And we want to connect and we want to have emotional depth with one another, but we're doing it in the wrong way. I think mm-hmm. we're really self-obsessed, especially about our negative feelings and making sure other people know. And then our care- we, we're expecting some caretaking and it, it's gone off the rails so that we're mistaking symp- uh, sympathy for community or nurturing. Oh, huh,
1: that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Because community. Because it's just like, attention. Because there is. Really like, in terms of it's just, yeah. it's just one attention. Yeah. We, we thrive in or like enjoy is not one of just pure sympathy. Like maybe, yeah, something bad happens, sympathetic, but like accountability. Pull oh, yourself sympathy, up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, a critique like the intern's very mm-hmm. aware of. But
4: um, well, <laughs> like, like- how are we going to get you through this as opposed mm. to, yeah, this happened to you and this was a shitty thing and we're going to stay in here and wallow forever versus mm-hmm. uh life is shitty. And I'm sorry that happened to you. And now how are we going to pull out of that? I, Life's I,
2: actually I, fatal. So quick question, <laughs> quick question <laughs> right. on that in terms of your education as a, a neuropsychologist. Was this your view and approach that you thought that thinking this way and applying these tools with your clients will help them or is this being taught so is the school teaching principles of psychology some of the things you said uh, are popular that don't necessarily work or has the education for psychologists shifted towards the take on
4: it hasn't yet take- it's it's a slow as slow adopter as medicine is so when i went to grad school i learned none of this it was all how does this make you feel it, mm-hmm. i don't I care about people that I work with, but I don't care how it makes them feel. I want to know what's happening in their nervous system, and then I want to help them grow their brain in a different direction. And I learned that through postgraduate work that, Has birthed out of the Canadian Foundation for Trauma Research and Education. And we've done some research there. Um, But it's still counterculture. So there's still a lot of therapists out there just doing the weekly grind of how does this make you feel?
1: And they believe it's like that's the way to do it, right? And that's the slippery slope on a lot of the stuff. Like they're very, they believe Lipitor is Mm -hmm. the way to longevity. And
4: they go for years with doing historical digs of people's trauma and rehashing stuff over and over again. And people never get better. And they just, the only reason they still go is because they feel connected to somebody. They feel like for 50 minutes, something's about me that I didn't have to create on social media or create through my family structure or, Mm -hmm. you know, get attention a different way. So people stay victims because there's something in it for them. They're getting something that they need on a human level. It's just maladaptive. They're not getting it in the right way. So
1: I guess maybe to wrap up and man, it's a shame that it's at like hour 2.25, but So let's say we have a listener here who who is in that loop right now and had a traumatic experience and they've learned now that, holy shit, like my well-intended psychotherapist has had me recounting this story. Like, what do they do? How do they Mm -hmm. how do they even broach that subject of maybe pulling the ripcord or even shopping around for somebody who's a little more progressive in this this treatment?
4: You have to want to get better. Right. So that gives you the balls to do that where you go, okay, well, what's another approach? Somebody that's working more somatically is probably going to be more educated in the nervous system and how the mind and the body works together and all about neuroplasticity. So I would encourage that direction for sure is to go. Uh, is to look for a different therapist. But mostly, um, you know, we need another nervous system to heal our nervous system. So you want to work with somebody in the right approach that is super grounded, that can hold the space and pull you through it where you're seeing progress, where you should feel better at the end of every session and start seeing progress right away.
1: Damn. Well, let's say... So where where can people look you up, Tara? So if they want to get some information on you or what you're doing... Uh, do you have social media, website you want to point them to?
4: Terradonmiller.com will have most of mine. Um, Instagram, TerraShrink.
1: There you go. Anything else, guys? I'm good. You want to talk gun control at all? or <laughs> Flat Earth, John? <laughs> Ooh, Flat Earth. Triggered. Triggered. Uh, triggered. John's triggered. Power Athlete Nation, thank you for listening to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. conditioning. And we didn't mention one thing about, well, I guess we did talk about exercise as a um, mechanism to, con- to calm down that nervous system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, see, we hey talked about exercise. It's all, it's, it's all the
3: yeah. same thing. Beggars we we can't be choosers. We did talk about gun control.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, kind of. But we don't know exactly how you feel about it. Um, okay. <laughs> well, Talk to you later. listeners. means Bye.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Keep close tabs on Tara Miller and learn more about her treatments for PTSD by following her on Instagram at Tara Shrink or by visiting her website, teradonmiller.com. Until next time, bye.